Every week, huh? Screw him. <clears throat> you guys prioritize me over him? Oh, definitely, Sean. <laughs> of course, bro. The, I, the IAN, YANs prioritize over the ANs anything. <laughs> the Rogans, the, the Rogans, the Schmitz, or whatever they, they call themselves. All right. We are live, gentlemen. Good morning, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. It is still? our first show. Or still. I mean, it's our first official show back since... Is it? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sir, last week we were off. We were off last week. When did you guys do the show with Mike? It was in December? Mm, yes, it was. Was it? Yes, it was. Did we have a show? Yeah, it was. This is our first show back. Yes, it is. Oh, wow. Hold Wait, on. Is last it? Monday was now our you're tripping Christmas. Me out. We didn't do it. Oh, yeah. It was the 6th. We were off. We were s- yeah. six. we were off. So, Happy New Year. We took PTO. Yeah, Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it did feel like it was, it's been forever since we've done a show. Um, today, our guest, our special guest is Mr. Sean Sahakian. Shant, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you for you. taking time out of your f- busy, busy, and fabulous Monday to be with us this evening. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, yes. man. Uh, for those of you tuning in, Shant, well, Shant right now is the uh, executive director for the Armenian American Museum, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about during the podcast. Uh, but besides that, as a part-time gig, uh, Shant was elected as... District D's, uh, Glendale Unified School District's District D's Board of Education, one of the directors, correct? Board of Education. Board of Education, correct. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Board of Education, which we want to talk about a lot of um, things that go into the school board and uh, from budgeting to the sex ed and all that stuff. And if you guys have any questions as well, if there are certain topics that you're uneducated about or don't know about or you know want to get more information about i mean today's one of the best shows to actually listen into and find out what exactly uh is going on you know at glendale usd and uh you know we'll jump right into it and talk about it but before we get into the entire board of education and stuff uh, talk about the whole election process sean i mean how did that how did you go upon as far as deciding okay you know what i want to be part of gusd's you know Board of Education and help with this because your background had nothing to do with uh, anything political or educational, right? As far as yeah, so I'll give you the very short version. Um, I uh, went to Glendale Public Schools growing up. Uh, went to Columbus Toll and Hoover, uh, then went on to college, uh, Glendale Community College, CSUN and UCLA. And uh, during that time, I had started a business. So early on, I from fourteen, I had started in technology and design and building websites, and then eventually mobile apps. And so that introduced me to a lot of nonprofit groups. And around college time was when I really wanted to get involved in the community. And so I started volunteering and joined a number of volunteer boards uh, in in Glendale. I did an amazing program at the chamber, I should say, Leadership Glendale, which basically takes you around to our hospitals, um, Ascensi, our our homeless shelter in Glendale, uh, the private businesses like DreamWorks. And so you really see how, you know, private businesses – uh, public agencies and nonprofits interact and how this all makes up your community. Uh, so with that, I started getting more and more involved with the, with the uh, uh, community overall and also the public schools. Uh, and then uh, in uh, 2017 was when I decided to run for uh, the Board of Education. And thankfully, after uh, a long, a grueling campaign was elected, and I, I have the privilege to serve on the board now with uh, four colleagues, a uh, board of five, and we oversee and govern the school district. And uh, District D, now what schools does that cover? 
So it's uh, District D. It was, uh, so I got elected in the first by-district election. So basically think of the city of Glendale. And actually our boundaries for GUSD are larger than the city of Glendale, so it's part of La Crescent as well and part of La Cunada. So uh, it's basically think of one-fifth of the entire school district. So it covers uh, on the eastern portion, so everything from Emerald Isle, Chevy Chase Canyon, Glen Oaks Canyon, down to Adams Hill and South Glendale. Uh, so that includes schools as south as Cerritos Elementary School uh, and Muir Elementary School, all the way as north as uh, Wilson Middle School, Glen Oaks Elementary School. Uh, and in there you have Glendale High School, um, Roosevelt Middle School touches it as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a number of schools uh, in Glendale, but the board collectively makes decisions across the entire district. Now what about like CV and stuff? And CV is part of that as really? well. So okay. it's not part of District D, but as a board member, U5 basically make all the decisions for every one of our 32 schools across South Glendale, West Glendale, East Glendale, North Glendale, and La Crescenta. Yeah. And do you guys make, as far as when meetings are concerned, how many districts are there exactly? You said there's A, B, C, D, and then there's a fifth district as well, right? Five districts, Five yeah. districts. So when you guys make certain decisions, all five of you meet together, you sit down, you talk, and who essentially makes the main decisions? I mean... Are there votes that go in? Is it a majority vote? Or do, do the people actually have a saying in anything that goes on with school decisions? So yes, yes, and yes. So the um, so think of the Glendale Unified School. So we have 32 schools. We have 2,600 employees. Uh, we serve 26,000 students. So um, when we are elected, we're elected by district. But when you are elected, you are governing the entire school district. Um, so think of GUSD as a little islands in the city of Glendale. So the city of Glendale, its parks, its libraries, its fire, its police, they are all governed by the city council and the city manager. So the city manager is kind of the CEO of the, of the city. Uh, and uh, basically those five elected officials govern over the decisions for the city. Uh, same with the Glendale Community College. Uh, so in our case, uh, we are a board of education of five members, and we collectively vote and make the decisions on the major decisions that happen across the district. And the superintendent is kind of the CEO of the school district, uh, and she implements our vision, but she's also the day-to-day full-time person that oversees the 2,600 employees uh, and the operations of the district. So superintendent, is is that somebody who's elected as well, or is that somebody who's basically, you know, works their way up and they become the superintendent of the district? So the uh, board of five, uh, the superintendent works for the board, under the direction of the board of education, so under the board, the five board members, essentially. So that is so you have the five board members at the very top of the of the chain, then you have the superintendent, and then you have all the employees, all the teachers, staff, uh, certified employees that fall under the direction of the superintendent. So we will, for example, every year set priorities for the school district. So what are the things we want to accomplish in this coming school year? Uh, it is the superintendent's role and responsibility to implement that uh, and to oversee all the day-to-day operations of the school district. I see. So in in essence. Anybody who's voted into a position with the city, regardless of its board of education or city council, they're top, They're the main heads of whatever they're they're operating. So, I mean, I originally thought the superintendent was basically like the president of the school district. They everything goes, you know, through them before it's even approved or anything. So, in essence, it's actually through you guys. It, the decision making is our role, but but at the same time, every decision we make, um, it is informed by a number of things. So one, it comes with a recommendation from the superintendent. So we expect our superintendent, as the professional, as the expert, who in our case, you know, our superintendent uh, had a thirty plus year career with LA Unified. Uh, we officially hired her 
um, less than a year ago. And so she comes from a background where she was a classroom teacher. She was the head of human resources. She was the deputy superintendent of LA Unified. Uh, this is Vivian Ekchan, our superintendent, uh, where, uh, and that is the second largest school district in the country. Um, and so she's now the superintendent for Glendale Unified. So it comes with the superintendent's you know, expert recommendation in every situation. Um, but also, uh, going back to your original question, you know, we don't make decisions in a bubble. You know, we have a number of committees. We have a number of way f- ways for parents to give feedback, for students to give feedback. And, you know, we are trying to take all this information in to ultimately make the best in- uh, decisions in the interest of our students. Um, so we have a number of committees where parents can get involved, community members can get involved. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, if it's a decision that impacts a specific school, then definitely that school community in particular. Now, certain decisions are made as far as you know for the schools we off camera we were talking about the whole jewel situation i had we had no idea about this but apparently there's a lawsuit going on with the glendale unified school district and other districts and they're suing jewel yeah jewel being the the smoking the vaping company so what is what is going on exactly in these schools because i mean none of us have teenagers that go to middle schools or high schools so we have no idea what's going on how bad is this epidemic going on with the glendale unified school district so i'm glad to use that word it is an epidemic um there is an ongoing legal matter so i can't go deep into details but i'll just share at least what we've observed um the the challenge with jewel uh, and with vaping in general which is different than smoking is that it's very hard to detect so last year, we brought in a company, uh, Canine Solutions, where they went to our school sites, and they were giving presentations just to educate our parents, because a lot of our parents, you know, we, um, we, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have vaping to worry about where, you know, something that looks like a thumb drive that a student would have in a class and no teacher would think otherwise of it is an actual vaping device that you would hope wouldn't contain nicotine, but many of them do contain nicotine and things that are much worse than nicotine. And they're able to smoke it, they're able to puff it out, and it's gone in an instant, and it doesn't leave an odor. So it's very hard to detect. Um, and so you could imagine just the teacher is looking at the board, writing something down, turns around, and you'd miss it in that split second. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we hear from our students that it's happening uh, so much in our, our bathroom facilities, for example. So we're working on developing plans for that. But the district you know, receives funds from the state to educate our students. So every time things like this happen, you're diverting dollars away from where they should be going in trying to fight an epidemic that really started with a company that's targeting youth. And so uh, Glendale Unified uh, became, I think, the second or third school district to formally open a lawsuit against Juul, uh, and Juul specifically because they they, uh, are notorious for targeting youth, um, but also they are the um, major player in the industry. And so we're hoping that uh, we're not only going to be able to address the funding challenges it's creating, but also address the targeting of youth and hopefully uh, ending that practice for good. Now, is is vaping happening junior high and high school or also at the elementary school levels majority of it is middle and high school but we are seeing it even in, in, elementary, in elementary school wow are you serious in elementary so like sixth graders fifth graders doing this that's it like 10 11 12 year olds basically it's getting scarier by the minute and so we we're doing everything we can to educate our teachers and our staff also educate our parents and then of course educating our students too about the risks of using using it but you know in the meantime hopefully then the lawsuit and we're we've been joined by uh, san diego unified we joined la unified and so there are many school districts across the state uh that are taking these measures to hopefully help protect our kids what's the minimum age to buy a vape 21 18 18 no no i think it's 21 isn't it one of the challenges is also that uh so there some practices have been getting better in this sense but but prior to that it's a very unregulated industry so imagine we're sitting at the beginning of the smoking industry 
And so a lot of this is not being regulated. And so some companies are stepping up and they're trying to require IDs and things like that when you order. Um, but there's still so many ways you can get it. And so there's, there's a long road ahead of us. Mm, wow. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's sad that the, the, the district has to actually go through a lawsuit to, you know, to sue one of the major vaping companies to kind of put an end to um, vaping in schools. I mean, majority of it, I'm assuming, is happening in bathrooms, though, right? Because that's what, I mean, when we were in high school, anybody who was smoking, they didn't go out into the quad and be like, all right, you know what, let's uh, light up a cigarette and, you know, smoke. It, everything was happening in the bathrooms. Well, as, as he mentioned, because it's so discreet, if the teacher turns around and is writing something on the chalkboard, you could just whip it out, smoke it two seconds, put it back in, and he or she wouldn't even notice it. Unless one of the students rats you out, then it's almost impossible for you to get caught. It's very difficult. It's yeah. very difficult to detect. Even for parents. I mean, for parents to know that their, their children are using it, it's very hard to detect. Because uh, I've seen a lot of them, they, look like USB, they do look like USBs. They look like flash drives. And the majority of them actually charge through like a laptop. So I've seen people, you know, plug it into their laptop to charge it. But when they're, how, how many, is there a number as far as kids getting these confiscated with the district? Is there an actual number? How many of them are actually taken away? I, I won't be able to get into those details, but those are some of the reports that we're preparing for the lawsuit so that we can provide the documentation and, and evidence. But unf- and it's, you know, it's not unique to Glendale Unified. I mean, school districts across the country are dealing with this challenge right now. Um, and so we're trying to be proactive and not let this linger for too long because it's, you know, it's impacting our students. It's negatively impacting our students. Um, but, uh, but, you know, hopefully we'll collectively be able to uh, address it and, and hopefully reduce uh, the risks and You're reduce right the impact. It. 21 actually the official legal yeah because they they did change the smoking age yeah, so i guess true. that falls under the same category pretty much yeah. did we get tickets when we were like young? <clears throat> if, if you ever caught smoking in high school was, was there like a ticket for it, like a tobacco ticket or anything for underage smoking inside the school you would get suspended for that wouldn't you? i don't remember i mean I, I don't remember anybody inside even the school was I mean, yeah, inside the school, you'd be just through the regular discipline policies for you know, different issues. You would feel. Maybe, but of more, course, maybe more than suspension, I think. Well, you know, with some of our schools, too, depending on how severe of, a, of an error you've made, of course, you, you know, you're still subject to. So what is the consequence for a student if they're caught with a jewel? Well, right now, you would, you would go through a similar discipline process for a lot of other behavior on campus. So you would, you would be uh, potentially uh, suspended. You'd be, of course, you know, the items need to be taken from you. Of course, parents need to be notified because the parents need to know what's going on as well. Mm-hmm. School um, police get involved as well, I think. They do, yeah. yeah. And, of course, we want, you know, we ultimately, you know, as an edu- we don't want to just send them off to home and come back and just redo it again. So, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can to um, educate the parents, educate the students, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, deter them and the, from deter them from doing it in the future, yeah. Do you think it's something that the parents are taking lightly as far as the entire, the whole jewel thing or the vaping? They don't, they're not educated enough where they don't understand what it is or how it is. Because the way I look at it is I feel like a vape is actually, not that I'm advocating kids, you know, anybody under 21 or anybody under 18 or even high school kids smoking, but, you know, it's not as bad for you as a cigarette would be. But some of these kids are actually walking around puffing this thing 24 hours and they go through multiple cartridges. I've seen kids where you know they're sitting at a Starbucks, and instead of breathing the air inside Starbucks, they're 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 inhaling the smoke 
or the, the vape in, out, in, out, having a conversation in, out, in, out. There's a lot of health issues concerned. There's a lot of health issues with that too, with your lungs. And there's not enough studies to see what the actual outcome is. With cigarette smoking, you know what the danger is. Yeah. If you're doing it, you know what's behind it. With those vapes, I don't see any studies. I don't see any proof of what's going to happen 10 years, 15 years from now. Well, it's a very new product, and then yeah. on top of being a new product, uh, it's like what you said. You know, you you come from a position of assuming, oh, it's not worse than cigarettes because I know how bad cigarettes are. But we know that as a result of years of research, years of education, years of people pounding in our head of how bad it is. Um, and so we have a long way to go when it comes to educating the public. And also, uh, not all vapes are made equal. You know, not it's not always the same uh, ingredients in each of those vapes, you know, depending on where they got it from, depending yeah. on what they ordered. Really? And so some of them are very dangerous. Some of them are – actually, most of them are significantly worse than cigarettes. And uh, and the research is, is just starting to come out. But uh, there are a lot of health risks involved with vaping. Is it easier to get? I mean, you can just order those online. And easier where, to get. I mean, you yeah, don't you need can. anything just to order it online. But cigarettes, you go buy it from you know, a gas station, they're going to card you. So that's pretty much another well, way these kids are getting away see, with it. Technically, a lot of the websites, what they'll do is they may even ask you to scan your – driver's license but you can just take your parents driver's license i mean scan it and nobody None knows of them say to scan it they just tell you to enter a birthday no 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 it's not that's to get into the website but to actually order a product uh, a lot of websites these days do ask for you to take an image of a driver's license front and back yeah yeah oh, okay. which which is not again hard to access but like but like you mentioned the, the where the trouble comes in is that there's a lot of aftermarket products out there that are using cheaper ingredients uh more dangerous that, that are yeah detrimental to health even though looking at it statistically i remember dr drew was talking about this vapes have helped more people quit smoking than anything else even nicotine patches but the downside of that is the fact that now a lot of companies out of china and different places in the world are getting involved manufacturing this and you have no idea whether it's regular vaping or whether it's, you know, uh, marijuana vaping. You have no I idea what type of oils are being manufactured and what's going on in, in that oil that's, gonna, that's causing the lungs to collapse and all these different uh, respiratory issues to take place. Yeah, I mean, good, good summary of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as far as the lawsuit is concerned against Juul, now... <clears throat> A lot of people are always concerned about this, the budgeting with, Glen, with the Glendale Unified School District. Is any of this being funded by the taxpayers or by the parents, or is it? Uh, how is this lawsuit taking place? Because uh, we want to obviously talk about the budgeting. We already have a couple of questions regarding it, but uh, where's the money coming from for this lawsuit? Where so in in the lawsuit, uh, the law firm that began working with LA Unified uh, and first filed their case is the same law firm that we're working with. Uh, and they, they will be funded through the earnings through the case. They are not being funded up front by the school district. Um, and so uh, there are really two goals. There's the financial end, which is we're getting public dollars to spend on educating our kids, and we're going to have to divert it because you've created an epidemic with our youth. Uh, so there is that financial impact that happens, but it's also you know hopefully ending the practice of targeting youth. So that's everything from how you advertise it, from how you design right. these products, uh, from uh, where you advertise it. And so uh, hopefully in the end, uh, we'll have a better situation and we're able to protect our students. But uh, the lawsuit itself is not being funded by, you know, our it's a contingency basis. Exactly. Okay. Is, it a, is it considered a class action or? 
You know, it's uh, officially right now we have individually filed, but I know with many school districts coming on, uh, you know, it may become a class action class lawsuit action. in the future. Wow. Now, is that against Juul? Okay, so for example, Texas jumps in, Nevada jumps in, Oregon jumps in, all these different states jump in. Um, Juul is nationwide, correct? Jewel is nationwide, but they're based in California. Well, the, but they're based in, now. Okay, oh, okay, that's a different story then. Okay, because I was thinking, like, would this basically take it? Would it be taken to like federal court or something as far as trying to ban Jewel in general? Is that what the plan is, or what is it exactly that you know the the main goal is with the school district and the lawsuit? The number one goal is to protect our kids, <laughs> but uh, but in terms of the lawsuit itself, um, in our case, it's uh, they're a California company. Um, we're a California school district. Uh, so uh, I can't predict what's going to happen in the future. Um, but, um, you know, ultimately we want them to change their practices. Uh, we want to be able to protect our youth and not for them not to be targeted. Um, how that all comes to be, you know, we'll, we'll see through the lawsuit and where it ends up. I just hope it's not a waste of time. Sure. Uh, and honestly. Well, not money. So that's well, a good thing. There's no waste of money at this point. Yeah. Well, right now we're losing money already because we're going to have to spend money to address it and try to help protect our kids while it's happening. But, yes, uh well, that's what the that majority. Some of the comments that are coming in is, you know, they are talking about it. They're saying that Glendale USD is basically. They're saying we have no money and we're broke. But as far as the budgeting is concerned, what is going on with Glendale USD? I mean, is there? Are we really having a financial issue? Is there really a financial problem that we're having with Glendale USD? Are we under budgeted with everything? So we are. Uh, you know, as we were talking about a little bit before, so um, in the past, you were funded by local tax dollars. So your local dollars would go help your school district. Uh, the challenge with that was you would have very affluent communities who would have all the funds they need in the world, and then you'd have poor communities who would have disproportionately less funds to educate kids, you know, the same number of kids. And so uh, many years ago, our state changed the model. So the majority of our funds come from the state of California, uh, some federal, some local, but the majority is from the state. And uh, those funds uh, basically go through a formula and a process to determine how much do you get per student to educate, you know, uh, in your community. And so what it has done is it's cre- created a more equitable system because you don't have huge disparities between different uh, cities and communities, for example. Um, but right now, our public schools in California are underfunded. So you can go uh, to states in the Midwest and the East Coast where... Uh, you're receiving, you know, upwards of fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per student to educate them. In the state of California, it's approximately ten thousand, ten to twelve thousand, depending on the numbers per you look year. At. Per year, exactly. And so, uh, what that means is, you know, when you look at when you look at our total budget, you know, you have to remember we're fifth or fourth largest economy in the world. Uh, so you will hear that we are spending a record number of dollars in public education, but that's really talking about the top dollar, the top dollar amount, the total amount. But when you look at how we have a large population, so when you start dividing that up and you look at how much that actually means per student, um, we are underfunded. Uh, now, with that said, uh, Glendale Unified for, has a long record of being very uh, financially, uh, fiscally responsible and, and prudent. And so we've had a deficit, uh, a structural deficit over the last decade or so. Um, but we've also maintained reserves. So as a school district, you're required to pres- uh, pr- preserve 5% reserves. Um, we are significantly over that 5% reserve, and that's why uh, we are, we're basically able to continue to um, serve our students, but we, we are, we're doing that recognizing that we really need more resources to um, provide the best possible education to our students. Um, so, we, uh, we, so you will hear that we have a structural deficit, uh, which means you are, um, you are 
we look at basically three years out. So you look at how much money you have today. Can you basically provide enough, uh, have enough funding and resources to uh, uh, balance your budget this year, next year, and the year after? And so we just turned in a qualified budget, which means we're able to do that. Um, now, that doesn't mean we have everything we need. Um, so we do advocate to our state officials um, to invest more in public education so that we can, we can provide our students with a better uh, opportunities and, and with all the resources that they need. I mean, how on, top of, how on top of the schools is the actual board with financials? Maybe there's money being wasted with these schools sometimes. Well, the way it works is we, our budget is approximately $300, $300 million per year. Um, more than 80% of that goes to people um, because we are a people business. So it's teachers, it's staff. We have 2,600 employees. Um, and so uh, one of the ways that the district has been able to balance the budget over the past decade is unfortunately increasing class size um, because that is one way to balance your budget. And so you know, while we continue to advocate for more resources, uh, that is another area where we need to um, significantly improve and, in, and invest in. Um, because we have uh, classes that are getting larger, and uh, that is not necessarily good for students. Um, and so uh, the, the, basically the process, the way it works, is that uh, the budget comes to us a pr- uh, three different times uh, as it's leading up to the official adoption in June every year, mm-hmm. uh, and you adopt the budget in June for the following school year. Um, one of the other challenges we've had over the past uh, two school years is that we're all seeing decreased enrollment. And so uh, across the state, you're seeing uh, many people that are leaving California. Um, I think many families that are not being started um, because of uh, economic challenges. And so we've seen uh, approximately 1% reduction in our student population over the past two years this in a row. In Glendale? In Glendale, yeah. See, uh, I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, families are leaving Glendale and younger people are coming in. But the families that are leaving Glendale are... You know, they're still bringing their kids to Glendale Unified Schools through, you know, obviously uh, through bill changes and permits and all this stuff. Is it possible that the, you know, that the board might be able to pass something where if you're, if you move out of the city of Glendale and you still want to continue bringing your kids to the schools, there's some sort of permit or something that they can pass easily where we won't have an issue with the class side, with you know, with students leaving, and obviously, uh, the Glendale Unified School District being, you know, the money being taken away from the state for losing kids. Well, the uh, so remember that so we are funded by the state. So the way it works right now is that if you live in Glendale Unified, uh, and you will have a you'll have a certain zone where uh, the local school you're supposed to go to the community school, uh, you're able to get into that school and you're guaranteed a spot. Um, and so you're able to to do that. So in my case, I grew up near Columbus Elementary School. That's the school I went to. Uh, one thing that has changed since then is we've developed these specialized programs. So one is uh, the Foreign Languages Academy of Glendale, which is our flag program, where students are able to learn in seven different languages. Uh, they get to choose which language to enroll in. Uh, and so I'll take Armenian, for example. You're able, you're going to, during your K-6 experience, kindergarten through sixth grade, uh, you're going you're gonna to be able to learn the subject 50% of the time in Armenian, 50% of the time in English. It's very different than the language classes I grew up in. So I used to go to Saturday school for learning Armenian. Right. Mm-hmm. In this case, you're going to be learning science in Armenian. You're going to be learning um, you know, every history in Armenian uh, for part of your day and part of your day in English. And we have seven languages. Uh, and so parents have that choice, and they're able to enter into a lottery, and they're able to get into a school that may not be their neighborhood school. Um, and then we also have our magnet schools. So Roosevelt Middle School is now a STEAM academy. 
We have Cerritos Elementary, which is now a coding school, and so you learn computer science and coding in K through six. Wow. Uh, you have Clark, which is a technology magnet. You have Edison, which is a technology magnet. Um, and so we have uh, a lot of choices that we're giving our, our families to make decisions. Uh, some of those programs, like our flag programs, they do allow you to permit into the school district to specifically enroll in that program. Um, we are funded per student, though. So when a student does come in, it financially benefits the district. But, of course, with every student you're educating, there are costs involved. You know, you have a school to operate. You have a uh, teacher to pay for that class of, uh, of 20 or 25, et cetera. So how many uh, – a couple questions here. Do you know the state budget per year for, for, for all the school districts? And then how many students do we have in the Glendale Unified School District? Because when you, when you talk about $300 million, 10,000 per student, that equates to 30,000 students. What is the number? How many students do we have in, in the Glendale Unified? And then also, what is the overall state budget? Because $300 million sounds like a lot of money, but when you have 2,600 employees and... All the overhead. Twenty six thousand students, twenty six hundred employees is basically that. Is it twenty six thousand students or twenty six thousand students? Twenty six thousand. Okay, yeah. a little bit under. We're somewhere between twenty five thousand five hundred and, and mm-hmm. twenty six thousand right now. And so, what is what and about twenty six hundred employees? So it's about a thousand employees per per student. What What's the um, uh, What's the state budget? Do you know what that number is? The state, but actually, well, Governor Newsom actually just. Um, just announced the new uh, his new plan for so the way this works is that in in January the governor will submit his proposal for what he where they believe that they will end up at the end of the year and two hundred and twenty two billion is that the new proposal for one year or uh, well this is the new state budget that's the state budget overall for overall all the school districts no no this is the state oh, state budget overall state overall budget, state budget is 222 billion dollars mm-hmm. do you want to know what the schools is but f- but sp- what's allocated for the schools I'll find it right yeah now. we have our uh, official record keeping <laughs> my left going to pull up the number right now <laughs> because what yeah what a lot of the parents have concerns about is if if the school is being underfunded because now from my understanding instead of uh, like you said, because an affluent area was had uh, a higher budget versus poor areas, which obviously, in a sense, it maybe is not fair to those uh, other uh, uh, dem- demographics. But at the end of the day, if ten thousand is not enough, how how do we increase that budget to make sure that our students are getting the education they need? Because ultimately, we probably are paying more taxes than, let's say, maybe somebody in Fresno or. Inglewood, or don't you think the city should step in? I mean, city funds. I mean, I don't think California's I mean, Glendale is one of the richest cities. Well, uh, Sean said the, no the state oversees the city, so it's actually it's uh, nine hundred million will be the school budget for the state of California. But nine hundred million, nine hundred million, and we're getting a third of it just in Glendale. That nah, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Newsom's budget proposes nine hundred million to address teacher shortage and school budgets. That one may be a specific addition. proposal. Yeah. I think for uh, and I'm trying to find the number and I apologize. Because if Glendale gets no, no, okay. a third of that, man, that's <laughs> well, <we're> st- <laughs> state is screwed. Newsom, you're doing a fantastic job. But uh, so let me kind of hopefully try to answer that. So when you look at uh, so when you look at things like our parks, our police, our libraries, mm-hmm. um, our fire department. So all of those are, are funded by our local dollars. And so it's a lot of uh, property tax, uh, sales tax Ticket money. Uh, that goes into that. And, uh, and then, for example, uh, the city passed the sales tax measure. So the 
point seventy five additional that the you're now paying in in Glendale sales tax. Mm-hmm. So those things stay local. They go to the city and through the city council and working with the city manager, they approve a budget every year. And so they are charged with uh, overseeing those things. So in our case, we're we're charged with overseeing our schools. Um, so that includes our thirty two schools, um, all of our programs, all of the staff and teachers that that takes. Everyone from our, our janitors to our administrators to our um, uh, secretaries to our counselors to our uh, mental health employees to our uh, teachers in the classroom uh, to, uh, of course, all the properties we also oversee. So everything that goes into your electric bill for each of those school sites, the AC and all those different things that go into that. Um, and uh, and then, of course, the uh, textbooks and things like that. Right. So uh, that's kind of where our charge is for where our dollars are supposed to be going. Uh, so that that's basically what the majority of our, our budget is going to. But again, 80, over 80% of it is to people. It's to, it's to, it, are, are the uh, buildings owned by the city or are they school district by the school district? By the school district. Yeah. So for example, when we, um, we, we just started a, uh, you, you'll probably be familiar with this with our new aquatic center at Glendale high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we develop the plants and we work with the architects and the contractors and the plans are ready, they don't get submitted to the city. They get submitted to a state agency. Uh, that is specifically charged with uh, uh, reviewing and approving uh, school uh, facility uh, proposals. And mm-hmm. then so they approve it, and then that's how they get built. And then, um, so and, we basically answer to the state. I see. And, and for that particular, let's say, aquatic center, is that an additional fund that you're requesting from the state to, to finance it, or does it come out of the budget of the I'm education? glad you mentioned that. So, we, so in, our, in that, those dollars that come from the state that go to all those things I mentioned, Uh, the other thing is that it, it gives minimal money for infrastructure. And so you don't have millions laying around to be able to spend things to build new structures in your, in your school sites. So we've been very fortunate that first we had Measure K and then Measure S, which are bond initiatives that our community passed that said we are going to tax ourselves a little bit more uh, in our property taxes so that we can invest in our schools so that they can go to these very specific things. Uh, so when we pa- when Measure K first passed, uh, and then Measure S uh, was a campaign I was involved with in 2011. 2011 Measure S was a 270 million dollar bond, and it was it was specifically earmarked for infrastructure. So uh, it could not be spent on teacher salaries or employees or anything other than technology, uh, uh, construction and infrastructure, uh, and security. And so those are the three main buckets that those projects fall under. So. We've had the benefit of having that adi- those additional funds to spend on those specific areas, uh, which have allowed us to build uh, you know new uh, classroom buildings at many of our school sites. Uh, so R.D. White, for example, has a new 20 classroom building that came in uh, two years ago. Uh, we're able to spend on uh, athletic facilities like the Glendale High School Aquatic Center. Uh, we've also uh, we just approved eight million dollars from the Measure S fund specifically to address uh, security issues. So new camera systems. Um, and security-related uh, updates and upgrades at a uh, majority of our school sites, from elementary school to high school. So mm-hmm. going back to the budget, so $222 billion is what's going to the state. Of that $222 billion, uh, 27% of that will be going to K-12. 27% of the 222000000000 billion. Billion dollars will be going to K-12. Um, another 8% will be going to higher education. Um 8% will be going to transportation. Which is about $65 billion, yeah. I And guess. then 20% will be going to health. 11% will be going to human services. And then the rest of it will be going to other. Gary said it was $77 billion. I don't know if 60 sounds right. 
Well, it's it's twenty seven. Do the math. It's twenty seven percent of two hundred and twenty two billion dollars. That's what I'm saying. It's roughly about about sixty billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, is there certain things we can cut out of the district where it'll save us money? Like, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to sound like you know, uh, you know, an asshole or anything, but like a lot of these, a lot of these people that basically worked for the district have assistance for everything. They have an, then their assistant has an assistant to something, and it's like. Is I mean, and I don't want to. I'm not talking about like obviously laying people off, but maybe that person that's working in the offices for the Glendale Unified School District doesn't need an assistant to write out certain emails for them. You can get rid of that, and you know, it's. I know it sounds harsh, but you know, have them actually do some work. Do you have examples of that? I don't have examples of it, but I know like every other person you talk to at the Glendale Unified School District says, well, you know what, uh, their assistant will get back to you. Or, oh, they're in a meeting, can I help you with something? I'm actually their assistant. It's like everybody but, has an assistant for something. But then uh, the arguments I hear from teachers all the time. Uh, they don't uh, have uh, assistants. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that they're all underpaid. Right? And understaffed. So if we used to have TAs, those things are gone. And and what Jacqueline also mentioned is the uh, ridiculous large sizes of the classes, which means the teacher to student ratio is uh, much lower than it used to be. I guess. I mean, I haven't been in school in probably class 50 sizes years, have, but class sizes have been getting larger. So as that, a byproduct. And how? But how though? If 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 we're increasing the budget, yes, I understand. We're also increasing the. Uh, the student size, the, the class sizes, in a sense, because uh, more kids are being born and all that, but a lot of them are also graduating off or going on to uh, maybe even moving out of the district, like you mentioned. How is it that increasing the taxes, and uh, it seems like every year, every couple of years, we have to cough up more money for 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 our local, um, whether it's the district or anything, for the city, for parks and recreation. But yet, we always seem to be still underfunded and we're still lacking the, the, the proper... A lot of parents complain about not having the education or the education system being... Um, uh, the structure in itself not being... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what one of the moms was saying is, in a sense, where they start off the school year by the time... The teachers catch up to actually starting the curriculum. It takes a couple they're of months. They're behind, basically. Yeah, they're behind, and then it, it, it they tend to end off the school year about two two months prematurely, trying to wrap up the year where it seems like the education is is only suffering. Yeah, the kids' education is suffering at the end of the day. But yet we're caught, we're putting more money into the pool, and yet the outcome is the results are not what the parents expect so how how do we overcome that or, give, or is you, that is that a misconception maybe i think there's some <laughs> truth and there's some misconception and and so sometimes the lines do get blurry and I'll, I'll give you an example of it so uh we have so every year the state goes through its process of, of submitting its budget so I'll, I'll speak to first the the discussion about cuts and how to save money uh so when you are in a structural deficit uh we one of the things we have to do is we have to submit our budgets in different points, uh, our predicted budget for the next school year, uh, to the uh, L.A. County Board of Education, and they, they kind of sign off on it like, yes, these are accurate numbers as they're being reported. Um, you either need to make additional changes or you, you, you're, we are accepting your budget uh, as is. And so when you are in a structural deficit, you need to show uh, what they call a solvency plan. Uh, so right now we have a solvency plan for next school year, which is showing how we are going to make cuts 
in order to address this uh, structural deficit. So it is looking at things like uh, department budgets. So where can we cut, uh, where can we save money uh, from the technology we're using to uh, the people that are in each of those departments? Uh, how are we doing at our school sites? Are we overstaffed? Are we understaffed? So all those things are being looked at. And there are some tough decisions ahead of us actually coming up for what, what changes we're making in the next school year. And so that's been a process that has been going on for at least the past few years uh, to address the structural deficit. Um, going back to your question, though, where I, I think the lines get blurred sometimes is so our uh, employees are on STRS and PERS, which are state uh, pension programs. So a good example of that is where when the state felt that it was having budget issues, so at the state level, um, they said, you know what, um, what we're going to do is we're going to say school districts, you thought you were contributing a certain percentage into these retirement funds. Well, guess what? Over the next three years, we're going to increase it every year. And so we're looking at the state saying, wait a minute, we get a certain amount every year that we plan for accordingly. And now you're telling us with the same amount of money, you're not going to give us more money. We need to manage this additional cost you're putting on our shoulders. Not only that, we are not able to negotiate the, the benefits because they're a state-run program. And so uh, a good example of that is that our costs go up every year about 5%, no matter what. You can do no raises, no nothing, and it's going to be going up. And so if the state is not increasing the budget for schools by at least 5%, uh, you're not even able to maintain what you have now, let alone trying to build and trying to add programs and trying to invest some more. Um, and so it's a little bit of a cat-and-mouse chase every year and also the other the other challenge is that so for example we are right now in january mm-hmm. uh the budget the governor just proposed it's it's his uh expectation of where the budget's going to be predicting forward to uh by the time june comes around where he thinks the dollar amounts based on sales tax and based on all the other things that come into the state um and so we are in the process of planning our school year without all the information we need to plan it so, you know, and if you're running a business, this is the worst way to run a business because you're, you're trying to make predictions. You really don't know where things are going to end up, and you're, you're already committing to certain things before you actually know where the, where the dollars are going to be. So, but you know it's a wrong way of doing business. In a sense, it is, school's a business. No matter what you Absolutely. think about Absolutely. it. You guys got to have the money, you have, you have the employees, yeah. all of it, right? Yeah. Don't you think if you know the program is running inaccurately, there's no way to change this? There are many ways to change at the state level, uh, but unfortunately at the local level, uh, we are, so for example, the state can mandate a standards that we have to meet. So for example, we have new science standards coming in. Uh, we cannot d- decide on those standards. Those are made by state officials. And, and you're then spending we, your money to get to those standards, correct? Depending on where you sit. So we think we're spending our money. The state thinks we're spending their money. <laughs> so uh, basically, but for those standards, then we have to, we get to, for example, uh, when it comes to a textbook, uh, we have a process, so going back to the earlier question, too, about how parents can get involved. So uh, we have a committee that does review textbooks before they're adopted, and then they prepare a recommendation to the superintendent. And then from there, the superintendent makes a recommendation to the school district. Um, but the standards that that textbook aligns to is a state decision. It's not a local decision. Um, so many of these decisions are made at the state level, and then the Board of Education is kind of the middleman. Yeah. You know, We're trying to make a difference where we can. So, for example, the state doesn't require financial literacy. Um, but we have implemented a financial literacy program in our elementary, middle, and high schools. Um, but uh, but there are many things that come from the state that you have to implement by law. Speaking of textbook, I mean, one of the things that I would think, I mean, in my in my own business, I've tried to eliminate textbooks and, well, not textbooks, but any type of paperwork where I've taken everything online. Digitally. Using, yeah, uh, taking advantage, advantage of technology. What, you don't think that would 
cut a lot of costs if instead of printing millions of books for all the students in California, if they each had, you know, a tablet. You can, I'm sure you guys can get a uh, <laughs> bargain from Amazon if you order enough where they just get a tablet and all the books are updated. Instead of every time there's an update, they have to print another $50 book. I would be against that. A, a few million times. Uh, Why? I just feel like you're going to have to deal with electronics being lost, electronics being tampered with. You're going to have to deal with privacy issues. And at the end of the day, a physical book is the best way for your mind. I'm like, I'm a visible, visual person. For me, reading off the screen does not do okay, it. I have to print it out and read it. But Ed, you're, you're a different generation now. Kids nowadays, they, they're still people that learn the same I, way. Up that's true. I, I still take, I have notepads from 20 years ago that there I reference. Go. But if we're talking about our kids not, not getting the education that they, they need, and if it means using technology to enhance that and advance that, then one we of our have listeners, to. One of our listeners had made a comment about maybe when you guys print out paper to send out to every parent, that's something maybe a phone call or an email would take care of instead of every day something and printing it out and send home with the kids. That's something can, you can save trees at the same time and the money. Together. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you one example of where we've done that. Uh, we used to have, uh, maybe you can confirm this. So we used to have what's called Thursday folders. So every oh, yeah. Thursday yeah, yeah. we would have a uh, number of papers that the district would print uh, stuff for each of the 26,000 plus students. And we were a larger student population back then. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, and then there were other you know community groups that would put flyers in and do that. So we have digitized that process. Um, and so we use a platform called Peace Jar. But like you said, um, you know, not, all things are not equal. So what happens now is, you know, unfortunately, we hear a lot of negative feedback from parents because you don't know which parents are actually checking those folders. Whereas before, the student would go back, physically go home, hand it to their parents. Of course, there are some students that may not choose to hand it to their parents, but the parents, of course, would ask. They'd expect it. It's a Thursday. Yeah. Um, and so now you have the challenge of not knowing which parents are you getting the information to, which parents are you not. Then you run into issues with, well, which parents have internet access, which don't, um, which cell phones have you know, improved it quite a bit. But we do have a lot of uh, um, uh, low socioeconomic families as well that you need to right. think of. And that's where the tablet – I think we're going through a transition. So we've seen – I think overall we've seen a reduction in paper and printing, mm-hmm. um, which also is better for the environment. But the, we're, we're still in that transition period where I don't think we're quite ready to fully switch over. But the, but the other thing I do want to add also is uh, the uh, textbook industry is, mm-hmm. is controlled by very few companies. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the savings are not, all, you know, they're not quite that clear when it comes to because that digital book you're adopting is still, you know, operated and owned by that same company. And so right. the savings are, are there if, if we can get there, but it's going to be a process. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'd still have to purchase it, but you're not going to pay, let's say, $50 per book. You may pay three dollars per license per, per tablet for example but and what that also does again this is just me thinking from a and you're a tech guy yourself so um thinking from 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 another perspective where when a student takes the book home you have no idea if the book was ever reviewed if the homework was ever completed whereas with technology you have more control you can you can have systems in place where um it keeps track of their screen time and what pages were looked at and what this can also, I'm just thinking out loud in terms of on the long run, if you have these statistics on a graph and you present it to the state, it also helps you uh, ask for more financing to increase your budget because you're showing, look, 
80% of our students are actually doing better with this curriculum, with that. They're advancing in math, they're advancing in English, whereas if everything is on paper, it's you have less control. And I, in my opinion, that just uh, you're kind of... Grading is on... Uh I know the kids check their grades on websites now. We don't have, I don't. They do get a physical grade, I guess. We've we've gone to digital report cards as yes. well, um, which uh, does present a lot of challenges. But I think the other thing is when uh, when I first joined the board, we adopted a technology sustainability plan, which would take us to three to one devices in the in the classroom itself. Mm-hmm. Um, some schools have been able to, with supplemental funds that they each receive, go to two to one and go to even one to one, where every student has an actual. Uh, Laptop or Chromebook is what is most commonly right. used. Um, but our schools aren't quite ready for that full shift yet. Um, we have to get to a point where every student has one device in every classroom so that then you can fully switch over with textbooks. And um, Because there's the piece of what happens when they go home, You know, what mm-hmm. technology is available there. Are they able to borrow devices? Are they able to have a device? Uh, do they have Internet access that's reliable? But then there's the other piece, which is what's happening in the classroom. And we're not quite there yet in the classroom. We used to have two books. I remember having one book that I would leave at home and one at school. Maybe not something they could practice now with the cost. I mean, the books, those companies make a lot of money. That's another thing. Oh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, of course. There's no way for you guys to get better pricing on books. Who looks into the pricing on books? Who looks into the pricing of purchasing materials for the school district who does all this we so when you have a committee that comes together for a textbook review they'll be looking at you'll get feedback from teachers for example like which book they feel they would do be more effective as teachers Um, but we will also get back estimates and numbers and so we'll be looking at the financial impacts as well let me ask you this question sean Uh, for example the school district has a certain budget glendale unified school district and then they give each school a budget correct for certain things, yes. For for example, for uh, let's say for extracurricular activity, for shows, for I mean, what are what are the certain budgets that go into, for example, an elementary school or a middle school or a high school? Is there maybe some sort of audit program that the board can implement where it's like, okay, we gave you, for example, I'm just throwing out a number, twenty thousand dollars for this quarter. What did you spend that $20,000 on? Because I feel like maybe there are still, you know, teachers or not even teachers, but staff and principals and vice principals and whoever they are where maybe the money's being wasted on silly things, things that should not, where the money shouldn't be going towards. Well, I think the, the majority of, of the costs go again to people. So this is uh, teacher, staff, uh, administrators across the district. So this could be somebody that is working in a classroom like a teacher. It could be a principal that's overseeing the, uh, the school itself. Um, it could also be somebody that's working in our uh, maintenance facilities, for example, that oversee uh, you know, infrastructure improvements and things like that in our district, which don't work at a school site. Um, we have a different uh, location for, for uh, those staff members that operate out of. Um, so there, you have to kind of imagine that a school district is kind of like a mini city. Uh, there's a lot of needs that our schools have. It's not just the teachers in the classroom, although they're uh, you know, valuable, valuable members of the team. Um, and so uh, there are certain things that do get allocated per school, the way you were saying, um, like uh, supplies, things like that. But a lot of those decisions happen district-wide as well. So, for example, um, you will say that uh, you, know, you are uh, adopting a certain ratio of uh, teacher to um, students, Student. for example, across the district because mm-hmm. that's a budgetary matter. 
um, then the schools are basically operating under that that uh, kind of policy for that particular year based on where the budget's at. Um, there are certain situations where, for example, Roosevelt Middle School uh, is a Title I school, and so they get federal Title I money, which goes directly to that school, which that school then decides what is the best way to spend this money at our school. Um, and so there are certain decisions that happen at the district level. There are certain decisions that principals and leadership at individual schools are able to make. See, that's, so it, that's it's, not a, it's not a... Um, uh, I guess it's not a uh, it's not a hundred percent kind of the yeah. same at every single. Individual I'm school. just concerned about the money being wasted. I mean, again, I don't want to. Uh, I'm not bashing any principals or any vice principals or anything, but I feel like maybe there's money there that they look at the budget. They go, oh, you know what? We have an additional five thousand dollars left over this quarter. What do you guys want to do? Let's oh, let's throw a Cinco de Mayo party and order some taco trucks and, and you know I just don't want money being wasted. That's not waste. Here's what the way I look at it. We're all talking about waste money education. When you talk about education, there's no such thing as waste. Well, we're, we're talking about the Glendale oh, Unified wow. School District having, a, you know, it's there's a there's a deficit, right? I mean, but here here's, you know what the ugly truth is, and I hate, the I hate to results. say this. It's at the end of the day, it's again controlled by politicians, which means what. The guy, the the, the guy up top who's making the decision as to well, we need to buy books. Who do you think he's buying the books from? Whoever, whichever book publishing company gives them the best under the table. Okay, obviously. and same thing with s- the supplies. I think same thing with the furniture. Same thing, you know, desks and everything else. So at the end of the day, decisions are not being made. I don't think from the top, and maybe locally, you guys may not have so much control. But if you ask me, I think through time, parents have lost confidence that. Decisions are being made for the in the best interest of the students, as uh, as as to the decisions are being made to the best interest of you know friends and family of the people on top who call, who call the shots. And it's unfortunate that we think that way because we've lost confidence in in the overall system. I would I would even say if there if there is the option, maybe some parents would even I don't even know if there's an option, but. For let's say Glendale Unified School District to exit from the state funding, like you know Brexit, whatever. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, GUSD exits. GUSD exits from the state, state the state completely. Where, for example, if the if the district the lo- the local people come together, where the local taxes are only going to the school district and being allocated for for the students that go to those schools versus being attached to the state funds and uh, maybe maybe there are grants and all that that's why that's the reason for not being able to uh to constantly be at the mercy of the state but at the end of the day when when locals control a business or an operation it's much more successful and beneficial to the locals than when a state state controls it uh i mean that's again i'm i'm speaking from a entrepreneurial businessman perspective not from a i don't understand i don't i don't work i've never worked in politics i've never worked in public office in any way so i don't have a clear understanding as far as uh, how much pull you guys have but from a from a business standpoint i look at my profit and loss statements and i make decisions based on where can i where should i fund more where can i cut costs do I need to hire more employees? And I would think you guys c- should have the c- same capability to do to to make such decisions. So, uh, 
I'll try to unpack that a little bit. So, <laughs> sorry, I I'm trying to. There's a lot of thoughts going on, and yeah. I'm trying to kind of share some of the thoughts that our listeners are sharing as yeah, well. There's a, there's a ton of comments yeah. coming in. It's just we're um, not. There's uh, we'll try to get to everybody's yeah. comments and questions, but obviously we're just limited to a certain amount of time. But sorry, sorry, Sean, go ahead. So I'll I'll speak from my own experience. So I I'm a product of the district. So I I grew up in with uh, Glendale Public Schools. Uh, my parents immigrated here uh, from Lebanon and. Uh, you know, we were a middle class family growing up and, uh, you know, we, 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 were, we were the beneficiaries of our public school system. Right. Uh, so everything I've been able to accomplish, I credit to our public school system and not mm-hmm. just any public school system, this public school system, Glendale Unified. Um, and that goes to uh, every teacher I had from first grade through 12th grade. Uh, that goes to every superintendent who I never met, who I never knew. Uh, who I didn't even know was working for the district, didn't know how to roll in the district, to all the board members that have served over the past uh, however many years, um, those that served before I even got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as a board member, as somebody who's running for the seat, um, I go in knowing that that opportunity was there for me because people planted it there. Um, but I also went in with clear eyes that everything is not perfect. You know, we, as good as I think it is, it needs to be better. Uh, and it needs to be better, um, not for me, because I'm no longer a student. It needs to be better for our kids. Um, so I have two children. Uh, Rafi is three years old. My daughter, Lori, is nine months old. They will be going to Glendale Public Schools. Um, so uh, when I was running for the seat, somebody had, someone had asked me, uh, how many kids do you have? And at the time, my, I only had my son, Rafi. So uh, they said, uh, how many kids do you have? And I said, I have one son. His name is Rafi. And she started asking me questions about him. And I was answering, and I was telling her, and then she said, uh, I hope you know that from now on you're going to answer that question differently. I said, how would I answer it differently? She said, uh, you have 26,001 kids. And the point of that was that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we are doing this for them. Um, and, you know, the, the, the difference between a business and the school system, though, that is very important. I look at it from a business perspective as well. So I look at it and I get frustrated when I know that this could have been 1% cheaper. And if it was 1% cheaper, that 1% could have gone to something else that it needed to go to. Um, and so I've had plenty of my own battles with staff when uh, certain projects go over budget because I know that every cent you spend on this project that should have been for this other one um, is something you're taking away from another student. Um, so I, I do have that objective perspective. But where it's different than a business is that um, you are talking about the education of uh, rich kids. You're talking about the education of poor kids. You're talking about the education of immigrant kids. You're talking about the education of non-immigrant kids. So, um, yes as an organization, we have to be efficient and we need to be more efficient. We're not as efficient as we need to be. Um, there, every cent is not being spent exactly the way it should. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, whether you're a private corporation or you're a public school system, you're run by people mm-hmm. and people are not perfect. Errors. And right. errors, errors are made, uh, errors in judgment and also just human errors that are, you had the right intentions but didn't go right. So, um, but with that said, I mean, most definitely we need to get, become more efficient uh, we need to use our dollars better. We need to use our dollars smarter. Um, we need to continue to fight with Sacramento, which we will continue to do to get more resources for our kids here. Um, but I think, by and large, it is the one uh, way you equalize the playing field for everybody. Um, I don't see a better system for how you educate our kids, um, where every kid is going to be given an equal opportunity, equal education. Um, does it need to be better? Does it, do we need to provide more? Yes, absolutely. 100% agree. How about as far? Sorry, Arwan. You were you going to ask about the exit? Or? No, I was going to ask you about the results. <laughs> My thing is results. The reason I said I don't mind more spending in schools, I really don't mind. 
But if we have the results, there is countries in this world that spend much less per child, but the results, these kids come out with more knowledge at the end of the day. It, or why are we not giving our kids enough knowledge? Look, I think, let me, let me kind of answer that real quick, and then I want to hear. The, the, when people compare, and I used to do that, when people compare, for example, health care and public benefits and all that, the U.S. to smaller countries, that, that's not even a conversation because you can't compare a country of 350 million or a state 38 million to a, uh, a country like Norway or Iceland or whatever. Well, the uh, Scandinavian countries, or, you can't or a, compare a, any, anything any to of them the small because countries. no one understands the Scandinavian countries get that oil money that no one else Forget does. about that. Forget about Scandinavian. Any country that has the population of Glendale, Burbank, Pasadena combined, that's a country, one of our cities is bigger than that. So the way the, the participation... It's still per capita, brother. No, I mean, it's it is, still per capita. No, no, you can't. A country that has as diversified as the United States, especially California, the, the equation completely changes. It's not the same. You can't... Look at, well, if a, a country of 5 million can do this, why don't we just scale it to, you know, 350 million and apply it to the U.S.? It doesn't work that way. Remember, you're talking about a state that has a budget of $222 billion. It's mm-hmm. just a state. Well, I'll yes. tell you, even as a school district, because a lot of times what happens is, uh, you know, school districts will compare each other to each other. And, you know, they each represent different communities. They each have different budgets. And so even in California... There are so many cities and, and, and communities and schools that, and school districts that are just completely different from each other. I mean, completely unique. You would never know that you're in the state of California when you compare those two things to each other. But so, Sean, do, does the school district conduct any sort of audits, though? Yes, every year. Every year? Every year. And, they, and is it like a thorough audit to find out yes. what exactly is being spent for each school? Who does the audit, though? Uh, we hire a private firm uh, that does the audit. So it's third party. Every, third party, absolutely. Yeah, I was and you're s- required to by law. Yeah, I was going to suggest uh, it has to be a third party that does forensic accounting, basically, to determine. Yeah. And they'll f- and they'll what they do is they so there's so in a school district budget uh, and on our website actually we've started uh, on the GUSD website there's a um, a digital budget that you can actually go category by category and uh-huh. click and kind of go deeper in it because it is complex to look at a school uh, district budget. Um, but you have many. Uh, you have some funds that come that are unrestricted, so you could spend it on whatever you want. Uh, and there are some funds that come in re- restricted, meaning uh, the state is going to give you X dollars, and you have to spend it on it, on this exact thing. Um, and so you can see a breakdown of that on our website uh, to see budget uh, line item by line. But what happens with the audit firm is when the audit firm comes in, they will pick certain standard funds to study and look into, but they'll also every year pick different funds that are different from the year before. Um, just you know, to make sure that everybody that uh, is so you know, it's not overseeing really a complete. It's not a complete audit. They compl- they audit a specific portion of it or a few specific. They portions, do, but the majority of the budget, um, but so not it's a, a full budget. Not one hundred percent every single dollar spent. No, yeah. I, I think that should be something where you guys should seriously look into it just to find out where this money is going. Uh, I don't. I don't care if it's you know if the teachers or the principals. They get upset about it and they say, you know, what is it to the board's, you know, a business where we spend the money? It's going towards a good thing. No, it need you need to be audited just like the IRS audits, you know, certain people. It's it should be the same thing. Uh, maybe not even audit every, like a thorough audit every school, but maybe pick and choose just so everybody's on their toes, knowing that you know what, 
maybe this year might be you, your school. Maybe next year might be your school. Because I feel like there's still something going on. And it, it sounds harsh the way I say it, but it's being run kind of like a mafia where everything is kind of done inside and they're spending money on things that shouldn't be spent on as far as the schools. I'll, I'll give you an example of an experience I had in my industry. Um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I had a meeting with a uh, large healthcare organization, nonprofit, about $15 a year budget or revenue, I should say. $15? That's it? 15 <laughs> B, B. Did I say dollars or billion? Yeah, you said fifteen dollars oh, a year. Fifteen, that. 15 <laughs> billion dollars. That's Glendale Unified Budget. I I met with one of their chief chief medical officers, and we were discussing a uh, project together. And he said, "I I said, well, fifteen billion. That's a that's a large budget." I said, "How do you guys manage all that?" He goes, "Well, we don't. We waste a lot of it." And I said, "How? What do you mean you waste it?" He said, "I'll give you an example." He says, uh, we're, we're trying to come up with this new technology, and I happen to know a guy that could develop the technology for $15,000. It was a very simple platform, like a portal he had mm. to develop. And he says, as a chief medical officer, which is a you know, high-ranked individual in the organization, he says, I presented it to the board, and the board said, okay, great, let's, let's set up meetings and discuss it. He says, we had five meetings. All the high-level executives were at each of those five meetings, if you, he says if you count the, the amount of money that was spent on the hourly pay of all those executives times the five meetings they had, they probably spent about $40,000 on the meeting to try to approve a $15,000 project, which never got approved huh. because it was over budget. <laughs> and, and to me, after that meeting, I was just thinking to myself, do these people really understand basic math? Why would you spend $40,000 to approve a $15,000 project and then at the end of the day call it, well, it's over budget. We don't have the funds for it. Because it, it, it could have been, <laughs> the decision could have been made over an email. Not and even, bro. <laughs> but then you can't. When you have a board, how do you not well, allow people to do their job and you, look over Send a memo questions. out, literally. You see, my point is there's... And, there's a lot of money that goes to waste because people are in positions maybe they shouldn't be in or they're not. There's a lot of just time being wasted on um, sectors of the education system which shouldn't be wasted. There's waste. There has to be. I mean, we know the state of the California bigger, the, wastes The bigger you are, the more waste you're going to have. My We're, problem is not the waste of money. My problem is the level of education you're getting from this wasted money. Are these kids better off today than the education we all got at Glendale? We all went to Glendale Unified School yes. District. All of us. Public school. All four of us, correct? Okay. We yes. all graduated from Glendale High uh, Schools in Glendale. But the education level back then, I believe, was higher than today. I don't have kids in school yet, so I can't, yeah, I can't even say. I can't answer that. I mean, the that, Common but. Core itself took me out of my kids. Uh, helping my own kids with math yeah. is gone. I would have to go learn Common Core to help my own kids with school. Well, I grew up learning regular math, and I, I said, listen, growing up, I told my wife, too, when we have kids, I'll help them with the math. You get the English. <laughs> I can't help them with math. They're in second you grade. You have to hire a 14-year-old tutor. <laughs> but, I mean, you understand what the problem is right now? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we're going to be talking about budgeting and budgeting and budgeting. It's going to go on and on and on. But uh, Let's change this over yeah, to the Armenian. We will. No, 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 we, we will. That's what everybody's interested yeah, in. Yeah, everybody's just interested in the budget. And I don't know, Sean, if you're... 
prepared to walk into this. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'll answer. I'll answer one question yes. you had because I agree with you though. It comes back to uh, ultimately you're doing this for student performance. That's and, it. That's all I care about. The money wise, some safety. people like business. Yeah. He's into business. He cares. My thing is a parent. Or my care, my kids getting at least the same education I got. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, on the on the so so one of the one of the things that makes things more expensive is red tape, and there is a lot of red tape in public school system. Mm-hmm. So that that is one thing that definitely makes more expensive. And I'll give you a simple example. So if a student gets hurt in a certain situation, uh, that in a private company would be handled completely differently. Um, what often happens is the state will create all sorts of new rules, and again, they are coming from a place of good intention. Because, again, it's your kid in that situation. You want to make sure that that situation does not repeat for other kids. They're not allowed to and be kids anymore. They're not allowed to run in the school. They don't have tetherball. <laughs> they can't play tetherball. They can't play kickball. They can't run. I mean, do you know what I used to do in elementary school? We used to fight, like, literally Well, did you guys play on the street? Yeah, I played we played on the street. On the street. Yeah, yeah. We all did. So that's one thing that's definitely that's gone. different from that's the That's gone, past. too. But inside the school, yeah. that's why you see chunkier kids nowadays than there used to be. They're not moving. Well, obesity is definitely not. I mean, we talked a lot about vaping. Well, the but school's not helping it nowadays, are they? Well, you know, in many ways, so oftentimes, you know, the, here I'll ask you a very simple question. So I'll say, okay, well, uh, how do you keep a community safe? Do you, keep, do you have safe schools so they're a safe community or a safe community so you have safe schools? They work or, hand in hand. They work hand in hand, exactly. So I think it's, it's a much, it's, the schools are, have a major role in that, but it is a much bigger conversation we need to have, um, you know, to, to address that and many issues. Um, but on the performance end, so like for math, for example, so we, we're, I think, unf- the unfortunate generation has gone through this transition to Common Core, and a lot of parents have struggled with it. Uh, one change we've recently made, which, you know, by the time our, some of our kids are in the school system, we'll see, is we've moved to integrated math. So whereas before you would take algebra and then you would take geometry and then algebra two, what would happen is a lot of times a student would be good in one type of math and not good in another type of math. And so what happens is a lot of students will get stuck. So they they didn't know that they could have excelled in math because they got into this bottleneck. And so now math is very different. Uh, So in our schools, you're going to be able to take it's a blending of the math. So it's a little bit more of a European model. Um, and so you will have a blend of algebra and geometry as you're going through the pipeline. And so you have integrated math one, integrated math two, and integrated math three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are different points where students, if they're really good at math, they can excel. Um, and it, it makes it, it's a, it's a much better system. So the algebra, geometry, algebra two is taken out of the system? No, it's still in the system, but it's a blend of them. So but, you're not in one particular class. But what, where, is, what is the class called? Because like when I was there, it was algebra one, geometry, algebra two. It's called integrated math. So that's one, what it's integrated called. integrated math two, integrated math two. Um, and so, you know, we will see how this plays out. We're obviously closely monitoring the implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another change in math that's taking place right now to hopefully help, you know, students excel. But what does the blend have to do with Common Core, though? Well, Common Core preceded, so they're kind of two separate topics. Um, but, okay. but integrated math has to be compliant with I understand Common why Core you did well. the whole algebra, geometry, and bring them together. It completely makes sense to me. I went through that, and it was a shocker the first two weeks. And that's something kids should be able to handle. We're taking too many things off the table with these kids. That's you, you know what else I've noticed with some of my like you know like cousins' kids and stuff where they're nine, ten, eleven years old. Some of the schools they go to, I don't know if because these kids just take a longer time to do homework, or some of them have like five, six hours of homework every night. And that's true. To me. I, I think a child should have very minimal homework. They should be 
taught whatever they're taught in school. At a high school level, maybe. That's not what's going on right now. They're, what they're doing is instead of teaching the kids in school, they just give them the material at school and tell you the kids to go learn at so home. So why not just shut down <laughs> the schools and do it online? Well, that's a major question you have to ask. I think you have to tune into the next <laughs> next, next podcast why nuts. of Wise Nuts. <laughs> no, because we'll talk. I, we'll do part two because <laughs> I do hear a lot of parents taking their kids homeschooling their kids these days, and um, it's it's a thought that I've even considered, even though my son is only eighteen months old. Because uh, these are all things that I I slowly have to start thinking about, and it's just if the teachers are truly not spending the time they need to to teach, especially the maths and the sciences. Uh, now, if you ask them, they'll say, well, we're underpaid. We're doing the best we could, for example. Um, and then if we ask the district, the district will say, well, we're underfunded. That's why we can't pay them more. And it just, you know, it's a trickle-down effect at the end of the day. But is, is that really necessary, or am I just seeing it because maybe some of these kids that I've asked, they're, they're um, maybe they're not the brightest, so it, it takes them five hours to do an hour of homework or or are they truly sign? Are some of these schools really signing four, five, six hours of homework every night? Well, I'll tell you two things. Number one, I you know I promise you, our our teachers are uh, professionals. They care about their students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they work hard for our students. Um, now, with that said, everyone is not always perfect. So, for anyone that's listening, especially you know when you um, and you know this is not limited to schools. You can go into a doctor's office and you can deal with a nurse uh, who does not perform the way that you of think course. they will, and so. Uh, when you have an issue at your school site, I always recommend that you start with the, the teacher, of course. Mm-hmm. Let the teacher know that there's something you're not satisfied with so that they have an opportunity to address it. Uh, the next step, naturally, is going to the principal at that school site so that the principal has an opportunity to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you feel like you're not being heard, when you feel like the issue you're pointing out is not being resolved, uh, when you feel like it should still be done differently or you're not, you know, you're not getting the results you want, um, I definitely encourage anyone to reach out to board members, including myself, um, and you're welcome to call me, text me, email me, um, and I'm happy to look into whatever the particular you know issue and matter is uh, that you're dealing with. Um, but you know, I think one of the challenges we have is that there's a lot of standardized testing too. Um, that's another big issue uh, where you know the the tangible of what we talk about. We talk about like student performance, so we we think of math, we think of science, we think of English, we think about all these things. But we're raising adults. We're raising human beings. We're raising people that are going to start working when they graduate. Um, and there's a lot of things in that 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 goes beyond a textbook and goes beyond a teacher and goes beyond a classroom. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, social skills. Um, you know, are we teaching our kids to shake hands? Are we teaching our kids to socialize, not bully, you know, be good uh, members of the classroom? So respect they're Respect, exactly. So they're learning a lot of things that are not necessarily in the textbook and you're not necessarily being tested, tested on. And so... Um, you know, every parent has absolutely has the right to decide what's best for their children. But when it comes to, you know, going to online classes, for me, at least personally, I'll speak, you know, I, I, there's a lot of benefit to being in the classroom setting because it's a reflection of the real world they're going to face when they graduate. And right. so, um, but again, you know, each parent, of course, it's uh, their, ultimately their decision. I mean, at the same time, I think parents have become overly sensitive with certain things. I feel like a parent would be offended if you were to teach their kid, like if a teacher were to say, you know what, you're, you're supposed to shake my hand with your right hand and be firm with it and shake my hand properly. I feel like parents nowadays would be offended with stuff like that. They'd be like, oh, you know what, well, you know, why are you, why are you telling my kid you know, how to shake a hand or why are you teaching my kid manners? That's something that I should do at home. Uh, it, I, I feel like it's like a double-edged sword. There's parents that actually want that taught in schools and then there's parents that say, you know what, it's none of their business to teach 
anything like that inside a school. I'll teach my kids proper manners and stuff, which, you know, nowadays kids are, a lot of kids are socially awkward. Well, and that one of the questions Armin asked was about that. What do you do with kids who come from messed up families? How do you teach them peace and I don't even think it's messed up families. I mean, majority, majority of the kids are keyboard heroes nowadays. They're all behind this thing right. and this thing, and yeah. they don't know how to even hold bullying a conversation. Bullying is different today than it was back then. Yeah. Back then, we, you had someone bullying another kid. Two, three of us would pick on the bully, and that was it. It was done. Or the, bu- the well, one being bullied would go tell on the bully. And well, once you leave school, it would end as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You had and the unfortunately, weekend. now it's 24 hours for many Social media and many it's there forever. Yeah, and they text each other bullying each other. That's crazy. Yeah. How, how do you guys, is, is there a method to controlling some of this madness with social media bullying? And, and, and I read, it seems like every day I read so much about how uh, a lot of kids are going through depression due to feeling excluded and not inclusive enough and not enough programs to meet their needs. And part of it is like, I think what Arnold mentioned is we've become so sensitive as a society where, and parents are even promoting this by being sensitive to everything rather than allowing the, um, uh, I mean, if we got in trouble before at school, whether it was at school or whatever, uh, basketball or piano, we'd come home and, our parents would never blame the teacher for disciplining us. But nowadays, you can't even discipline kids anymore at school in terms of, well, you did this, now here's the repercussions for it. They'll get sued or they'll file. A, so, something will happen. So as a society, we become sensitive. But how, as a as a uh, board member yourself, how, do you, how are you guys managing and putting out these fires and trying to control... Um, so many different complications with family issues and personal issues with kids that are going through the ages where, uh, whether it's the teenage years, where it's going to kind of sculpt them. Like you said, you're creating you're creating these uh, future adults that are going to go into society and become somebody like yeah. we did. So how do you how do you deal with these challenges? Well, I think the one one of the biggest things that I think I've learned as a board member, whereas when I was a student, I didn't quite recognize, is that the teacher is not just teaching me. You know, they are the counselor, they are the friend, um, you know, in some cases they're the parent role model uh, for those students because, you know, our students are going through a lot of different issues. So uh, Glendale alone, over 50% of our students are, are uh, on the free and reduced lunch program, which means they're low socioeconomic. Um, so that has an impact on them. Um, the, uh, when you think of, you know, we have a large immigrant population, that has an impact. Um, just in our community, we have, uh, you know, even some bullying and racism that happens within the Armenian circles mm-hmm. when you have someone who grew up here versus someone who just came a year ago. Um, so that's an issue we're seeing in our school district. So, um, you know, the teachers are, are on the front lines of all of this because they are trying to, um, you know, teach you a lesson about math while you are ha- trying to, as a, as a young human being, trying to juggle all these different challenges when it comes from uh, mental health, from bullying to, um, you know, different uh, family challenges that you're experiencing. Um, so, so, you know, it is very easy to say, you know, the, you know, what, you know, you, things like, you know, teachers are lazy, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not the reality. They are, they are facing an extremely large challenge in front of them. Um, and they're going to that classroom every day and they're spending valuable time with those students. I mean, they have, uh, the largest opportunity to have a positive impact on those students, um, no matter what's going on around their world, what happens that, you know, when that bell rings and it's the end of the school day. And yeah, we, we talked about it. We all remembered our teachers right before we went live. 
We all talked about how we remember specific teachers and the positive and negative they left in our memories. We all talk about it. But that doesn't mean that. See what I and I and I see these. Some of the challenges also is that parents are completely relying on their the, the teachers to discipline their kids. You as a parent still have to be a parent. Just because they spend eight nine hours in school doesn't mean you know you're you're kind of you wash your hands and well let the teacher discipline my kids. No, you're still the parent. Uh, I think parents need to stop being friends with their kids and actually be a parent yeah. and. Uh, and not rely on any type of system. The best teacher I still wouldn't trust to raise my kids. I have to raise my kids. I want the teacher to teach them on that particular subject and, you, like you said, shape them to a certain extent. But ultimately, as a parent, that's your responsibility. It's not the teachers, not the districts, not the states. It's nobody's responsibility but yours. Yeah. And at the same time, you have to stop blaming the teachers for certain things as yeah. well. Um, a lot of parents instead of there was a great meme where it was like what was it like it was like 1980s or 1990s you'd walk like a, a student got an F you would blame the student it's like you failed because you didn't study or you know they don't even have F's anymore whatever so it kids is don't feel bad bro <laughs> you know, whatever it is we should have F's so I get it know but let me let me failed. finish let me finish my meme and then, F yeah. is a bad word I think he was almost he was, was almost al- gonna get I was point. almost there so I was close. almost there so but like, close. Uh, like basically the parents were blaming the teacher and then it said see like I lost track no it was yeah in the 1980s the teacher the parents were blaming the student for failing now it's you know what it's the teacher's fault that my my kid failed. Uh, it, I think parents need to kind of step up their game as well and be like, okay, you know what? Um, my kid is basically going to school, but when they come back from school, especially if you've grown up here and you went to school in Glendale or LA or whatever, you know how the school system was because if you're part of an immigrant family, like my parents basically barely spoke any English. So uh, with math and stuff, they could have helped me, but English, history, economics, any that of that stuff. new stuff. Yeah, you couldn't, you, they couldn't help us. But yeah. it's like you have the opportunity to sit down with your kid and help them with those subjects. And a lot of them don't do it and their kids fail. And what do they do? They blame the school. Well, as a father, I'll tell you, I mean, I think about that all the time in terms of, um, you know, I watch my parents struggle through uh, being an immigrant family, three kids, mm-hmm. um, all the challenges that come into that. Um, and, you know, are my kids going to learn those same valuable lessons that I learned when they're not going to experience that? You know, they're not, they have a father that speaks English perfectly, you know, that grew up here, that knows the system, knows who to go to when there's an issue, knows what to do when something's not right. Um, you know, and so um, it's, it's interesting to see from generation to generation what, how each parent and each student's dif- uh, experience is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. See, I, for me, like, the first thing my parents would say anytime I would come home from school was, how was school? What did you guys do today? Do you have homework? Yeah, do you have homework? Finish your homework before you go do whatever you got to do. Nowadays, I mean, I don't even know. I I don't even know what parents would do nowadays because for some reason, I go to I go out and about. I'm like having lunch with a client. If if I'm having a late lunch, that is at like three four o'clock. I see students running around the malls, Americana, on brand here and there. It's like, okay, aren't you guys supposed to be home doing? Some studying, some homework. No, the parents busy on social media. Oh, God, don't get me started on that <laughs> shit, man. A lot of them are doing homework on their phones yeah. all day long, too. Of course. Yeah. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of parents had questions about how come there's been uh, so much reduction, even at, at some points, elimination of a lot of uh, 
physical activities like sports programs and even like Ed mentioned, being able to just play tag or uh, tetherball during lunch and recess. How come some of these physical activities are being injuries. eliminated from... <laughs> I'm serious. It's injuries and people suing this district, correct? <laughs> injuries. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't know they were professional tetherball players. Man, you, you mean there's no on-call orthopedic surgeon? At That's the another <laughs> thing. Now, the schools, uh, I know LA Unified, where my kids go to school, the school nurse, each school does, has a traveling nurse, so they have a nurse every two or three days. I don't know about Glendale Unified. Right, forget the forget the nursing thing. What what's <laughs> going on with the physical activities as far as it's with the because school? kids are getting hurt. Is, is it, it not the reason? No, I mean I I mean I'm thinking of all of our different elementary school sites, for example, and and there hasn't really been a, a removal of you know uh, handball tether walls balls? necessarily. There's um, no more tether balls. It's done. With tether balls? Yeah, it's done, isn't it? I will conduct a, a thorough tether ball investigation. <laughs> Let's and go will, for I it. I will come back and report to you exactly <laughs> how many tether balls per student we have available. That's an important thing to we have, have in passionate school. Tether ball I'm going to make here. a tether ball meme. Well, that, I'm going to make that's a tether what ball meme. Uh, where is it? Ronnie mentioned something about her. He said tag. I know he daughter said daughter tag. came back from school. Uh, where is it? Uh, came I from think it was school. Armin. They stopped allowing kids to play certain sports like soccer, football. And can one of you? Yeah, is it is that true, or is it a is it an overall district ban, or is it just that particular school? Maybe. I mean, I'm not. I think I'd have to get more information to look into that specifically. Um, we still have definitely lots of different athletic programs um, yeah. that we grew up with when we were students as well. Like, I'm so excited for my daughter to go to like elementary and middle school and high school just to find out what the heck is going, going on. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Just to see if she's good at yeah, uh, my, my, my niece goes to elementary. She's going to middle school next year. And she, she's, a, she's a pretty open book. So like, I'll ask her, you know, hey, Al-Nanjan, uh, what's going on with school here? And, and she said it. She said, you know, we're not allowed to play tag. I'm like, why? What happened? She goes, oh, these two kids were playing tag and the other guy tagged the other kid too hard and he fell and he broke his leg. So now no more tag. Uh, we can't play tag anymore. <clears throat> And I'm like, so everybody's punished because of them? He goes, she goes, yeah, yeah, we just, we just can't play tag anymore. That sucks. But I'm like, okay, what about like monkey bars and stuff? She goes, what's a monkey bars? I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, never mind. Well, never there's mind. Uh, the schools that I drive by when I used to, uh, yeah, the, the, that I attended, a lot of those monkey bars and some of the basketball courts have been um, replaced with bungalows. Oh, the basketball courts, all of them, they come off. Now the whole district, I think the whole district has those rims that come off and on, right? I know. I went to John Muir Elementary School. We used to jump the fence, go play basketball till it was dark. There's no more now, rims. No, no, the rims come off. So really? the rims are slotted into the backboard, and they take them off. Did they have to hire a designated <laughs> person to do? Somebody's got to have a job, right? <laughs> rim job. Well, some of it may have to do with. Uh, <laughs> he just said rim job. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you guys walked right into that one. Sorry, I had to say. I had to say it. This, Welcome to the wise. <laughs> let me bring this. Let me bring this back on topic. Um, no, I mean some of it also has to do with timing. So, for example, with Muir, Muir just received the finished the construction of a new building as well. Sometimes during construction, because a lot of times the construction happens in the playground areas, things tend to change. Uh, so, actually, in this last year, they got a new turf uh, grass field that they didn't have before. So, if you looked at it before, it was all asphalt. Yeah, yeah, love that yeah. asphalt actually. Um, so, so yeah, it depends on timing as well. So, no more roller hockey at John Muir. Well, I grew up playing hockey, so yeah, there at isn't John enough Muir? roller hockey anywhere. <laughs> we used to use um, John Muir for roller hockey. Great. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The Good school tip. Ronnie was referring to was Keppel. 
So if you wanted to, yeah, but I will yeah, follow up yeah. with Ronnie personally. And shout out um, to Ronnie. Thank <laughs> you for Ronnie in. will find out about your uh, tether balls, buddy. Don't worry about it. Another topic that I, a lot of parents I've noticed over the last few months specifically that kind of we wanted you to address this topic is uh, they've had concerns about sex ed, like we mentioned earlier. Um, what they want to understand is it true what they're seeing on social media, where elementary school teachers are being taught sex ed, or is it? or nothing has really changed. It's the same as what, you know, we experienced when we went through uh, middle school and we had, you know, a couple courses and then more in high school. What, what's truly going on and how much control do parents have when it comes to opting out of certain topics or classes? Or uh, Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Uh, so in, uh, the biggest change in the recent time, which I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of discussions and a lot, a lot of misinformation as well, is about... A uh, new law that the state passed in 2015, uh, which had a lot to do with uh, revamping uh, sex ed uh, for our middle school and high school students that was uh, included a lot more on um, uh, gender identity, uh, gender expression, LGBTQ-related um, uh, issues, uh, and uh, basically was a new standard that the state adopted uh, that school districts have to comply with. And so uh, school districts across California are in the process of evaluating the curriculum and the textbooks that are going to align to those new state standards. Um, the Basically, the idea is to uh, kind of educate and uh, uh, provide students the resources and knowledge um, so that uh, um, that becomes part of the, the sex ed curriculum that is already taught in our schools. Um, so that happens in middle school and high school. It does not happen in elementary school. Um, but with that said, you know, there there is a lot more uh, curriculum available today than, let's say, when we were students um, that addresses uh, LGBTQ issues, gender identity, gender expression in, in a wide variety of textbooks. But the sex ed curriculum and program in general is in middle school and high school. Now, can parents opt out of certain programs or is it not the class? For example, if there's a family that just doesn't want to have their kid go through a gender identity class. Yes. So uh, part of the law as well address that where... Uh, when that topic is coming up in their sex ed class uh, in middle school and high school, parents will be notified. I believe it's more than uh, required to be more than 45 days in advance of that particular lesson being taught. And parents have the right to uh, opt out. So the student does not have to participate what when that subject comes up. When they don't participate, up. do they go sit in the gym and wait for that hour? Or how no, there'll be, there'll be kind of a, an alternative classroom that they'll be kept in. What if in your alternate classroom is bigger than the actual classroom you're sitting in? teaching what happens then well i mean in general a teacher a student cannot a student has a teacher is always required to be in a classroom with students so a teacher can never just leave students alone so they will be going in another classroom where um they can either work on other uh homework, homework or, yeah. related to that class <laughs> or they'll be able to do something else that's educational they but they won't the just be nuts. they won't just be walking around the class you know the campus for you know do uh, they the, does glendale unified have the wise nuts hour i was just gonna <laughs> say you guys should Implement the WiseNuts <laughs> curriculum. This is good. I'm being lobbied for <laughs> WiseNuts hour. Yeah. Unified. You know, I'm are you guys credential teachers? We, we can. can, we can, be, yeah. we can go At through this training. Point, I'm okay for, with it. I just okay. got to make a call to the Philippines and we're set to go. <laughs> we, I mean, to I be wise, mine. I don't know. It takes a credential, but 
we can definitely <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> shape can these a... kids into <laughs> wiser men and women. I have a feeling I'll be getting a lot of calls. A lot of them will be offended, but you will have a lot of offended kids in your, on your hands. <laughs> Does someone check if Ronnie approves, by the way? I, I want you to oh, see if Ronnie approves your... Oh, the three of us? Your oh, wise nuts 100%. Hour. Are you kidding me? Ronnie, <laughs> do you vouch for us? 100%. Would you allow your daughtering at Keppel to have a <laughs> wise nut credentialing hour? right there, man. What is that? Wow. There you go. See? You go. I can't believe you just, in Microsoft Word, that fast on your phone. You Because <laughs> it was recent. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with the schooling before we jump into the... Uh... I, I think for the schooling, we have to have Sean <laughs> back after he topic. does some of his forensic investigation. Ra- round two, round any two. any round of our two. questions a little too but much, But I will Sean? say... No, but I will say, um, seriously, though, my door is open. So if any parents are watching, if there's any particular issue they're facing, anything that they have questions on, 100% encourage them to reach out. And I'm happy re- to. How do they reach out? Yeah, what's to the you? best way to reach out to you as far as for, um, for any school issues? So personal cell phone is 818 482 9858. Look at that, people. Oh, you I see will, that? Personal cell personal phone. Personal. Look at what Jeez. we bring to the table for you guys. I know we're live, so I'll repeat that. CNN that's, do that for you. That's okay, no doubt. <laughs> CNN doesn't even do Go that ahead. for well, you. So 818 482 9858. That's my personal cell phone. And then my GUSD email is ssahakian at gusd.net. There you go. All right. Dot net? Dot net. I guess when they <laughs> reserved we, we our... Dot gov was taken. That predates me. That pre- no edu. <laughs> I had the same reaction. I'm thinking, who has, you know, dot com or dot, dot org or dot gov? Or, <laughs> but we got to work on that. Ronnie says definitely. You see? Great. You see? There All right. You go. All right Thanks, so you have buddy. one supporter. We're in. At our schools. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're clean enough for Glendale, you know. We're right? in like Flint. Yeah. Well, you guys are a product of the district, so... Yeah. But... Uh, Again, another thing that we want to mention to everybody is uh, city council and the board of education have nothing to do with each other, guys. So uh, they're their own sort of, you know, uh, island, like, island like, like he mentioned, and uh, the city council is, is their own island. So if you have issues with the school and you go to the city council and they brush you off, don't get pissed at the city council. And if there's a fire hydrant going off and you go to Sean and you say there's a fire hydrant going off, <laughs> <laughs> Sean Blood brushes you Sean off. Sean will help you either way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I guess I'll d- lay out the disclaimer. In case of an emergency, please call 911. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to call funny. you for homework. That's Sean, my son can't figure out this common code. Can you come out and tutor him? But but on that, yeah, um, you know, well, we get we get all sorts of questions that are, you know, more of a city of Glendale or GCC related um, but I'm happy to redirect them to the right person. But, you know, we collaborate a lot. But, yeah, the, the city of Glendale is governed by the city council. The school yeah. district is governed by the Board of Education. And then GCC has the same then, with their uh, board of trustees. Just, just out of curiosity, um, for, you know, those, uh, for those uh, kids that go to college and graduate with credentials and they want a job with the Glendale Unified School District as a teacher, does it go through you guys directly or who does it go through? So we, uh, so we have one employee in the school district officially. Our employee is the superintendent. And so, uh, you know, the, all the employees under the school district kind of go up just like any other organization. Uh, so our teachers work most closely with our principals. Our principals work closely with the administration at the GUSD district. And all of that funnels up to the superintendent. Um, so uh, with a lot of the uh, individual school decisions, it goes through the principals at those schools. Uh, so we'd encourage them to call that, uh, you know, the schools. But they also can go through our HR department, mm-hmm. which is part of the district. Um, and that department will have plenty of information in terms of, how do you apply? 
Um, uh, you know, we have our listings on websites like EdJoin, which is very common for teachers uh, and other staff. Um, EdJoin. Yeah. But okay. you can go through GUSD.net and go to um, Departments and then Human Resources, and that, that'll be a good starting point. And there's a lot of contact information on there as well. That'll help you. Beautiful. Fourth floor, and then you're good to go. <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, the big story, the Armenian American Museum that's being built in Glendale, uh, number one is, uh, obviously, when is construction starting? That's what, that's what I'm curious about. But uh, number two, how much backlash has the city of Glendale gotten from citizens as far as the, the building actually <clears throat> being built? I mean, I don't want to get controversial, but I've heard numerous stories from Glendale citizens saying, why do we need an Armenian-American museum? <laughs> where, where to begin? So I'll switch my hats real quick. Um, so with uh, when the project first began, it began uh, in the lead up to the centennial of the Armenian Genocide Commemoration. And uh, the uh, community organized, uh, 19 community organizations came together and they were planning for the centennial. So this was in, in 2012 when it first started. And they said, OK, what do we want to do to mark the centennial? And so they uh, had two main initiatives. The first initiative was, how are we going to remember the last 100 years? How are we going to remember the 1.5 million that cherished? And they said, we're going to have a historic march on April 24th, uh, 2015, uh, to mark the 100th anniversary. And, you know, as you all know, in L.A., uh, 166,000 of us marched uh, through the streets of Los Angeles, and it was one of the largest public gatherings in Los Angeles history. The second initiative was uh, they want to build a landmark for the next 100 years. So what are we leaving as our legacy for our children? for their children here in this part of the world. And so that was how the museum idea was born. Um, so one of the first questions to answer was, where do we want the museum to be built? And so at that time, the committee um, started working with the city of Glendale to try to find a location um, that was suitable for a museum. And the first location that the city had offered was uh, right across the street from the Glendale Community College. Civic Center. The, right next to the Civic Center. Uh, across street from the Catholic. Lot. Yes, exactly. It's a city-owned parking lot. And so when you look across the nation, many museums, because they are cultural institutions, they are um, economic drivers, they're good for quality of life in your city, um, cities will uh, basically uh, partner with the project to bring it to that city um, because ultimately it's good for the residents and it's good for um, economics, it's good for uh, arts and culture. Um, and so uh, the city uh, began the process to explore that particular location. The challenge with that location, while it was great because it was right across from Glendale Community College, so they're you know, a really good connection with education, um, it backed into a residential neighborhood. And so there was a lot of concerns by that neighborhood because they were already facing a lot of traffic impacts from Glendale Community College, students mm -hmm. parking, driving through the streets. Um, and so uh, there was a lot of concern with traffic, lights, you know, what are the operating hours? More parking issues. Parking issues. And so in that process, uh, the city uh, determined, you know what, you know, let's move you downtown where we, they think it will be a better location for this type of project. And so then they offered the location in Central Park, which is where the museum will be built, uh, which is uh, shares the same park campus with the Central Library. And it's uh, right next to the Americanet brand. So it's right on Colorado, almost bordering Centrally brand. located. Centrally located. And it will become part of uh, what the city is building as the arts and entertainment district as well. Wow. And so that's where oh, the museum okay. will be built. So there's going to be an actual arts and entertainment center along with the museum itself. 
Well, they look at it more of a district that starts with the Alks Theater more north and ends south with the museum and all the different uh, things they're doing in between. So with Central Park, the city approved an $18 million makeover of the park. And so if you go to the park now, you'll see that there isn't much programming and there isn't much life in the park. Um, So with the museum being added to the park, the city is actually increasing the park space with the museum. So the park will actually be bigger. And they're planning to build a uh, outdoor auditorium or sorry, outdoor amphitheater. Uh, and also um, a children's park in the northeast part of the park, uh, as well as a lot of outdoor recreation and seating areas. So they're hoping to, with the museum being added there, it's going to bring a lot of life to that part of uh, part of Glendale. And, you know, it'll be great for the museum. It'll be great for the city. Speaking of parks, I remember a conversation a couple of years ago about the, the city talking about building a park over the uh, 134 yes. freeway. What? Uh, I think they, the last I recall, they've had uh, some plans that look into the feasibility of it. And I think they were doing feasibility studies to see that. Um, but a lot of cities, um, I think there's one in Texas that they basically capped the freeway and they were able to, you know, utilize that space that otherwise was just basically open air. Mm-hmm. And uh, the city was looking at possibly doing a downtown park there as well. Over the, the, over the 134. There's a couple of. Over the, the 134. Over the 210 past the upland area. There's a couple of bridges that have the trees and grass over the bridge. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, construction. When is construction planning on actually starting? Or have they started with as far as plans, engineering, all that? Yeah, so we, we have a design team that is now working to prepare those plans for the city of Glendale. Um, so the city approved the uh, – it's a 55-year ground lease with four 10-year renewals. So it's 95 years total at $1 per year. Uh, for the museum to be located in Central Park. Um, and so now we've hired the design team, uh, the structural, civil, um, uh, and uh, mechanical engineering, plumbing uh, engineers that are working with the architect uh, to prepare the plans for submission to the city. So uh, we're uh, hoping to submit plans as soon as they're, as soon as they're ready, and uh, our goal is to break ground in 2020. Actually begin construction in 2020. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people that have come out and... I, I don't know if you want to talk about this or not. I mean, we we didn't mention this, you know, off the podcast. But if you feel if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, you don't have to. But there was a lot of backlash coming out from a lot of citizens saying that, you know, what's the point of having an Armenian American museum here? They already changed one of the historic streets' names from Maryland to Artsakh. Uh, what's the point of having that museum here? Is there still backlash going against this? Is there people still fighting to not have this built, or has that kind of died down? No, I, you know, truthfully, there um, with I, I'd imagine any project that happens in the city of Glendale or any other city, there's going to be both people that are for and against it. But you know, in our case, I think the majority of of the feedback has been very positive, and you know, people are genuinely excited for the project. Um, you know, I think ultimately, um, it's going to be an arts and culture destination. It's going to be great for the residents. It's going to be great for bringing people from other parts of you know LA County and Southern California to come to the city of Glendale. So I can imagine a lot of people are going to come have lunch at the Americana and then come spend some time at the museum. Um, but also it's, you know, we want it to be an inclusive space um, that is, yes, going to tell the story of the Armenian people, but it's also going to be a place where um, we're going to be able to uh, feature and highlight other communities like us that are immigrant communities. So there may Cultural be... Cultural center, maybe? Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. So, okay. um, you know, we want it to be... So I'll, I'll briefly tell you a little bit about the program. So the museum will feature a permanent Armenian exhibition, which will tell our thousands of years of history. It will also tell our experience 
through the Armenian genocide and the perseverance of our people, and also how we've uh, spread around the world through the diaspora, but also our contributions to California, to the United States, and, and to the world as well, uh, and all of our success stories. Um, but separate from that, there will also be temporary exhibitions where we, we really want to utilize to not only highlight specific stories from maybe our history, but also, you know, we may have a three-month exhibition on uh, the Korean-American community, a three-month exhibition on the Hispanic-American uh, community. We may have uh, six months on immigrants and military and other topics that are that are diverse in nature so that we, you know, we allow it to be a platform for other communities as well. And so it becomes an opportunity for us to learn more about other people and for other people to learn about us. So, you know, it truly will be to the benefit of all residents and, you know, the entire city. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of work to do in terms of educating the community on what is coming to Glendale. Um, but, um, but, you know, most of the feedback's been positive. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's wonderful that you're also going to have temporary exhibitions as well. Yeah, and it goes beyond the exhibitions. We also are, are looking into building an auditorium that will be able to have different <laughs> lectures, panel discussions, um, uh, performances, uh, you know, a learning center that will be a classroom space that we'll be able to utilize for different programs. Uh, you know, we're exploring a demonstration kitchen as well, where you can learn culture through food, you know, exchanges. So, how, many, um, how big is this place? I mean, how many square feet are we looking at as far as building wise? So, it's approximately 60,000 square feet, the current plans. Wow. 60,000 square feet? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I'm three assuming stories. maybe three. Oh, stories. there we go. I was three about to say so. Yeah. Three stories. That's yeah. huge, man. That's so huge. right now our uh, architects and our design team are working uh, as well as with a pre-construction general contractor uh, to basically refine these plans. Uh, we also have a number of people working on the program to see, you know, what is the exact space you need for each of these programs and then what does it take for operating each of them. So, you know, by summer we're going to have a much clearer picture of where we're going and we'll be able to pr- share a lot more with the public. You mentioned an Orpheum Theater as well, right? Auditorium as well, yes. Uh, how many people is that going to hold? Uh, there, we're actually currently looking at that okay. as well. But we, you know, we've identified that you have places like the Alex Theater, which has a lot more seating. Which, for large scale productions, it's it's a great place for you. But when it comes to less smaller settings, you know, I think there's a lot more groups that are looking for more intimate settings. So this is going to be more like in the hundreds, not in like a few hundreds, yes. a few hundreds. Yeah. And then uh, parking and all that stuff, because it is it is obviously a busy section of town. You have you know the Shake Shacks there, Americana. Um, walk over, you have the banquet halls and all that stuff. Uh, parking, is it going to be sharing it with the Artsakh parking lot or is it going to have its own parking structure? We're going to be building a subterranean parking garage under the under the museum as well. Wow. wow. So how many floors underground? How many floors? Uh, right now our architects are working on that, but it's uh, approximately a little bit over 200 parking spaces what's planned for the space. Well, this is great. That's I mean, great. it's creating parking spaces. You're, I mean, everything is basically looked into thoroughly before... It's actually submitted to the city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the city, um, so the professionals will be developing these plans. You know, when the project was approved, it's basically at the conceptual stage. You kind of generally have a picture of what's being uh, planned. But uh, at this stage, they're preparing the more detailed plans um, and looking at not just the construction side, but also we're looking at the programming side. So we have uh, two phenomenal firms. Uh, One is Gallagher & Associates, who's worked on world-class museums across the country as well as museum operations, who's worked in museums uh, starting from uh, the Guggenheim in New York to the Broad in Los Angeles on the operation side. Um, so we have professionals that are guiding us through this process um, through what is you know truly complex projects to build. This is not just a traditional building that's going up. Uh, it's, it's not an easy process to build a museum, but we have professionals that are guiding us through every step. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing that you know, we're having something 
so unique and historical being built in a community that we all grew up in. And um, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to seeing what the outcome is going to be. Any sort of memorial setting for the Armenian genocide at all? Because I know this is what triggered, you know, what you guys, why you guys wanted to build this museum. Yeah, it is definitely the inspiration. And, you know, one of the important, actually, I'll pose a question to you guys. So you guys thought you were going to ask me all the questions. <laughs> so one of the things that, uh, you know, we've had a number of volunteers and community members and donors giving feedback on is the balancing act of what role the genocide plays in the museum. So when we talk about the permanent exhibition, you know, we, uh, you know, we wanted to share the history, our thousands of years of history. So the history pre-genocide. Um, we most certainly want to educate the community about the genocide. Um, and we also want to share our uh, perseverance and resilience in the face of genocide and how far our community has come, you know, despite... Accomplishments um, after exactly. genocide. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what is your opinion of what role should the genocide play in the museum? Because I know that that is a topic that, you know, I think each person in our community has a different opinion on mm-hmm. yes. in terms of how large or how small of a role it should play in, in our story, if you were telling your story to someone else. I... Who wants to go first? Um, you can go first, or if you, I mean, I, I, I would, <laughs> I would say, um, not minimal, but it shouldn't it shouldn't be the focal point of the museum because that's not what we're about. We're not just about the genocide, pre-genocide, like you said, we have thousands of years of history, but post-genocide, we've accomplished probably more per capita in terms of. Well, not per capita, but in terms of global population than any other culture in the world. If you look at 10 million Armenians, let's say globally, and the amount, the number of inventions and contributions to me- medicine, science, music. music, versus let's say China that has two billion people, you can't even, or U.S. or Germany, you can't. Comp- our numbers are yeah. astronomic. So, I would say the focal point should be post-genocide and that should be kind of a small piece that that like you said to to show that our perseverance and resilience even though we lost one and a half million uh, of our people but we still didn't give up we still we're here today so that would be my you know my two cents uh, (coughs) i would my personal opinion would be keep minimal very minimal focusing on the genocide more of past work with maybe someone like Stepan Partamian who's always focused on accomplishments after the genocide and I'm sure he's got plenty of things you can work So you're with. saying past or post? Past. Before genocide. Yes. Okay. So focused on the past. Past. And after the genocide as well. I mean accomplishments after the genocide there's plenty. That's what Stepan's focusing on in Armenia if I'm not mistaken. He's opening a general life. Right. Which is basically the opposite of genocide. If I were to break it down percentage-wise, I'd say about 10-15% genocide, 30, 35% maybe past, and the other 60 or so 450 future, like future meaning post. There should be certain points in the past <coughs> that they should focus on. Like, for example, um, the story of Armin and Haik, how, how Armenia was, how the Armenian... Armin and Haik? Well, yeah, how, the original Armenians, Haik. What? <laughs> Do you not know the story of it? Okay, Armin and Hike. I believe it was Armin and Hike. Yeah, it was Solomon and <laughs> Solomon. <laughs> but uh, but originally, where Armenians came from, 
the story of where Armenians came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tigran should be another story from from sea to sea. You know how, how much he's conquered. Um, the genocide, yeah, it should be in there as well. What happened to you know our people in 1915? Maybe we should emphasize the mistakes we've made as. You can't, Ed. You can't. You can't do that. You can't. You can't. Because we're, we're a Christian nation. You can't do that. That's the sad part. See, Maybe we should can't. start. We should start implementing the point on where the mistakes were so we don't keep See, making you can't, the same mistakes. You can't. Though. Because you can't. That's part of our history. We were the first nation to adopt Christianity. And I know. I know where you're going with this <laughs> as far as it was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. That's what led to the genocide. Oh, I did not say that. That's man. where you're headed, though. No, I did not well, say that. Then you that. tell me. You tell me then. In your own words. Go Mr. ahead, Ed. Ed. What's the mistake? I won't talk anymore. Uh, I'm not getting into this. <laughs> you're on the I won't do it, man. I won't do it. No, the genocide should be in there. Adopting Christianity should be in there. Uh, the story of how Ar- Ar- the Armenians were, you know, how the Armenian culture and race, well, culture, correct me, uh, the culture was created. Um, Alexander the Great, Alexander Digran the Great. Yeah, and then and then the genocide, and then mostly focus on post. What about language? Which is yes, good, which Al- is yes, the alphabet, alphabet which yes. is disappearing. Are you guys willing? Are you guys going to have any type of educational schooling in there? Maybe Saturday school or We've, something along those lines. We uh, so the plans currently include a learning center, and uh, we are in the process of discussing what the program there would be. And okay. the number one thing that I'm always asked about is Armenian language classes yes. as well being available for not just youth but adults as well. But you mentioned um, that the district has now adapted the seven languages, which. Students yeah. can take 50-50 Armenian and English courses. Or what if we have other people in our community that want to learn our language? That are not and, and, that and, and not only, I mean, don't limit it to just you know Armenians too. I no. have many non-Armenian friends as well That's that enroll in like Glendale Community College oh, yeah. and they take Armenian classes. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also, you know, the the museum is here in Glendale, but you know, we do anticipate that it's going to be a major destination for people that may not be going to Glendale Unified right. as well. Definitely. And we definitely, you know, field trips will definitely be an important part of, you know, uh, bringing students in to, to learn as well during the day. From other um, districts. But, yeah, I think the one of the things will be to define what the learning center is going to be and what types of classes can be offered. Um, and, you know, we'll be, definitely be taking in a lot of feedback for that. Are you guys going to be will, working with anyone in the Armenia's education department or Armenia's government Within this museum, or yeah, we've we've begun discussions with our consulate here, uh, and then as well as representatives in Armenia from both the government and also even just the museums, because there Armenia is rich with many museums that Ooh, you know yeah. will be lots of yeah. different partnership opportunities. Maybe you guys can work with some of those museums back home. And Matanadaran has so many things that they could offer, maybe on loan or lease or whatnot. Have you guys looked into those things? Absolutely, absolutely. And we have a lot of you know uh, Armenian institutions here like Armenian studies programs that want to work with us, as well as uh, museums and different educational institutions in Armenia, too. So we're definitely exploring all those opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, the I mean, you guys gave great feedback on, on the genocide question because, you know, we get um, we get people, that, you know, we've heard, heard it all from people that want no genocide mentioned at all to people who call it the Armenian Genocide Museum. So that's like a pretty wide spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in the process of defining what that is. But I think, you know, the, the consensus I've heard so far is that, yeah. you know, you don't want someone to come to the museum and leave without learning about the genocide. Of um, course. You know, 100%. so um, but you don't, but you don't want, want it to be, be like, you don't want it to define us. You don't want it to you don't want them to leave thinking, oh, these 
poor victims. You know, exactly. we want them to know about no, it should be our post. rich history. It's not like and our... When you go to Tsitsarnakabert and you go to the museum, you can't leave with dry eyes. It's impossible. Like, you don't want that. And here. we have that in Montebello too, right? Uh, what is the place wise? called? Not a museum. For the, the, uh, it's just a memorial. I mean, just memorial. 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 It's just yeah. a memorial. Yeah. But when you go into, you know. Yeah, but I well, think. No, it, it should be. It should be pre-gen. There should be a lot of pre-genocide. The history of our. I, the, the story of other Armenians, the genocide should be in there for sure. Christianity should be in there. The alphabet should be in there. Because uh, Armin Urujan, again, going back to what he was saying, our language is very, very unique. I mean, there's all these different languages out there, and our language is still around. I mean, mind you, it is butchered. but Almost compromised. Well, no, what he said was our country <coughs> is around. There's 6,000 languages, but only 180 countries, and... Armenian is one of them. Yeah, so it's not the language that's around that's unique. It's more so the country that's around. Because there are 6,000 languages. That little piece of land we still have yeah. left. Yeah. But I think the, uh, the not to victimize ourselves is a, is a great statement. 100%. Yes. You don't want people walking in there thinking, oh, Armenians are victims. We're not. We've accomplished, like I said, more than anybody else has. And we should emphasize that. Yeah, our stuff going to be in there as far as what Armenians have invented. Like, for example, <clears throat> there was the color television, the MRIs, the X, all those stuff. Are there going to be um, exhibits Exhibits in there showing all that off? Most definitely, yeah. Okay. We, we'll go through a process of bringing on a number of uh, scholars and artists to help kind of define what the exact story is going to be, which stories are going to be told, which figures are going to be featured. Um, but uh, most stuff we want to include that as part of the permanent exhibition. And then not only do we have the permanent exhibition, but... When we do have temporary exhibitions, you can kind of have a deeper dive on specific topics. And so there will be a lot of opportunities to display uh, a lot of our success stories and the inventions we're responsible for. Writers, um, Our artists, artists, our writers, absolutely. Beautiful. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the yeah. construction take place and actually being, you know, move forward. Uh, timeline as far as completion? I know you guys said 2020 is when you guys want to break through, but... Yeah. Completion wise, so the construction will probably be second half of 2020, and we're working with the city right now uh, to define what that timeline is going to look like, and as well as our consultants. Uh, so by summer, we'll have a, a clear picture of uh, the exact timeline. But so far, the estimates we've heard so far is about two to three years of construction. That's oh, not too bad. Uh, so from starting to opening day, and uh, and then of course there's also the Central Park renovations that will also be happening. So. We'll be working closely with the city of Glendale on coordinating all of that construction that's planned for that block. Yeah, um, Ronnie mentioned something. Levon Marashelian is actually a great person to touch base with as far as for um, the history definitely. of Armenia. Definitely, and Levon's been, uh, you know, I'm a, sure a great supporter. And yeah. absolutely, absolutely, definitely, definitely. Uh, any websites or anything as far as contributing to the Armenian American Museum? Uh, I know it's a nonprofit, correct? Yes, we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. Um, and you can go to uh, www.armenianamericanmuseum.org mm-hmm. uh, to learn more about the project. Uh, we just had our uh, gala where we were able to raise more than $2.2 million for the project, uh, which was great. Uh, lots of generous supporters who were very excited about the project taking place. And our website will have a lot more information for our different donor programs that are available uh, for people to get involved uh, from our Legacy Council to our Founder Circle as well as if you guys have seen online our square foot certificates as well, which make great gifts for uh, kids, family, uh, friends. Square uh, foot certificates? It's a $500 square foot certificate, so it's a very beautiful certificate uh, designed by Art, Arpine Shakbazian, a Glendale artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, actually in honor of uh, or inspired by uh, Secretary of Navy Paul Ignatius, 
who made a $500 contribution to us early on in the project. And for those of you who don't know about Paul Ignatius, uh, he's an Armenian-American who grew up in Glendale, um, who went on to become Secretary of Navy, uh, I believe the highest-ranking uh, U.S. government official of Armenian descent. Um, and he uh, is actually a Hoover grad, so for oh. all your Hoover fans out there. Um, and so he was, uh, he's been a longtime supporter for the museum. We had the pleasure of honoring him at our gala uh, just a few weeks ago in December. And so uh, he inspired the certificate, but it's a, uh, if you go on our website, you'll see it, and it's a beautiful certificate. Many people have uh, gotten it to dedicate for their children, you know, in their children's name, and you'll receive the physical certificate to, uh, you know, put in a display case or keep it home. Uh, or, you know, in honor of a uh, loved one who's passed as well. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Perfect. Uh, we'll put the uh, website on the uh, on our page for people who are interested in it, and uh, it'll there will definitely be a link to it. Uh, we'll also link um, the Armenian American Museum's donation page as well, so you guys could pro- you guys could actually donate to uh, the building and the construction of the Armenian American Museum. Uh, anything else you guys want to chime in before we call it a night? Yes. I would like to thank you for having the courage to come on and talk about Glendale Unified School District where, I mean, yes, the Wise Nuts is the platform. And when we were growing up, there was no platform like that. But we also didn't have any voice in our own education back then. Mm -hmm. None of us talked about that. None of our parents were, you know, risky enough to walk into Glendale Unified School District and complain about anything. Today we have Sean board members sitting yeah. here and we're bringing up every concern we have yeah. well because we as the parents today are well we as the immigrants who are now who grew up here and went to school here understand the education system are now the parents so we know how to to an extent uh, deal with the system whereas our parents just knew how to drop us off and pick us up and back then there was no one 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 of us was not of in course. the board let's just put it that way and yeah like you said we we are thankful that you're here, and we are very proud of all your accomplishments, whether it be with the board, with the Armenian American Museum. Yes. And we know you have a bright future within our city. Hopefully you stay within the city. Mm. You don't go anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody no. is no one, anyone away. trying to scoop you up? <laughs> yeah. no, no, no plans. Trump no, administration. We're, we're, everybody's, everybody's Burbank <laughs> calls once in a while, but no. Let them find well. a different Sean. They don't pay I'm well. a Burbank guy, so maybe there they'll you call go. me. Maybe he's the one days. calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're more of a Glendale guy than a Burbank guy. You've lived in Glendale longer than you've lived in Burbank. Give me a break. Uh, it's like those people, they go, yeah, I'm from North Hollywood. It's like, okay, you just moved to North Hollywood like a week ago, bro. Calm down. But Sean, no, you're you're doing a hell of a job, man. We're a hell of a proud of you. Uh, at your age to accomplish what you've accomplished and to get, um, you know, to become head of an Armenian-American museum, dude, it's, we're proud of you, bro. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep chucking along. And uh, you're making all of us proud. Um, that being said... Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, again, Sean did leave his personal cell phone number. Yes. And we're hoping it comes back. And we're, yeah. We're You're going to have to watch it again to get it. No himself. calls yet. But no calls <laughs> yet. No texts yet. Tomorrow so. morning. Yeah. <laughs> you could, again, if or, you have any questions, concerns. Courteous people. Yeah. He's, he's, you guys, he's, as, he's an open book. He's on, he came onto this platform to lay, lay it all out and just let you guys know what's going on and call him up. Meet with him, email him, whatever you want. Any concerns you have, anything you want to run by him, um, he'll be more than happy to answer any questions you guys have. 
Uh, Sean, thanks again for being with us again today. Thank uh, thanks for taking time out of your Monday to join us. Thank you, guys. Um, of course, of course. And good luck with everything in the future, man. Uh, hopefully when you, you come back, the, you know, you will give us more of an update as far as where the construction is with the Armenian American Museum and um, some more updates as far as with the school district as well, where we're headed. Hopefully it's towards a positive <laughs> uh, <laughs> outlook. positive outlook with everything going on right now. But uh, thanks again, bud. No, thank you guys for the invitation. Appreciate uh, this opportunity. Uh, very happy to join you guys. I watch, so, you know, to... See the room where the magic happens. <laughs> uh, don't, uh, don't tell anybody where we are. No, 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 we yeah. won't. No, this Nobody is a, knows what's this behind is a top here. secret location. <laughs> this is a top secret location. If you guys only knew how big this studio is, it's massive. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and and I think uh, you know we've we've uh, piloted the idea that you know we're going to do a, a tour of the Wise Nuts podcast, I guess, to one of our schools soon. Of course. So we'll, uh, artwork we'll, you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, no, we'll... but I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, no, really, though, especially when it comes to school issues, please you know, don't hesitate to reach yeah. out. And I have a feeling this will be one of uh, probably a couple of parts that we'll probably do in the future. And Definitely. we'll continue the discussion. You'll have, you have a ton of questions to answer on the, on the feed. <laughs> so you, you can go back and answer those. But uh, thanks for the suite at the, on the fourth floor for the Armenian American Museum. For our <laughs> <Studios>. <laughs> That's where my and our VIP parking spot. VIP parking spot. And our helicopter landing pad. So I still want to get wise nuts into GUSD TV. You know, GUSD TV does exist. Oh gosh! Every Tuesday night after the city council's done. Uh, Sean, thanks again, buddy. Thank, thank you again, you. Uh, guys. Thank you again for tuning in on Monday. Uh, we'll be back next week with another special guest. Uh, have a great week. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Monday. Happy twenty twenty. Thank you, buddy.